And we are on air for Fan for Racing NASCAR Weekend Preview of Talladega and Roseville. This is Thursday night, October the 10th, and joining me as co-host for tonight is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. It's a big weekend, as in big Talladega, the 2.66 mile. Absolutely, and we've got uh, some news to talk about here uh, throughout our show as well as uh, our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, which will start at 10 p.m. Eastern Time tonight with Andy Lasky as co-host. All right, getting into tonight's show during our first half hour, we are going to give a few updates from the Arkham Menard Series. We'll also talk about uh, the Can-Am Pro Series East, which pretty much has closed down their season, uh, but we'll give you any news that might be there. And then we'll also do the preview for the Can-Am Pro Series West that is racing this weekend. They're racing at All-American Speedway in Roseville, so that should be a lot of fun. Oh, most certainly. I know you talked about this, a little bit of a, a letdown now that the Canon East Series is done, so we don't have that to talk about anymore until they start up again next year uh, as far as races, but we will, I'm sure, see some news throughout the year to keep fans updated on. Yes, indeed. Now, at 9 o'clock, uh, we will talk about something that I'm very excited about, the Gander Outdoor Truck Series are back in action this weekend at Talladega. Uh, and this is going to be an important race for them. I mean, it most certainly is. And, and again, with the Talladega by itself is always exciting to talk about, being that it is the wild card and the unknown. But you throw in on top of that of where it sits in the truck series for them, uh, excuse me, opening round now for them. Uh, really could determine, just as Dover did for the Cup Series, who we got to look at to have good weeks or possibly be out of the playoffs. Yes, indeed. So uh, that Truck Series race at Talladega is going to be super important. You mentioned it's a wild card race, uh, and that means anything and everything can and probably will happen at Talladega this weekend. For six drivers, uh, they want to try to keep it as clean as they possibly can because they're competing for a championship, and uh, they want to survive Talladega to make it to Martinsville, which is going to be another interesting race. Uh, At 9.20, we'll finish up the uh, uh, truck series preview or conversation, and then we'll get into an update for the Xfinity Series. They are not racing this weekend. They will be back in action next week at Kansas Speedway. We talked about that a little bit, the Xfinity Series getting that little bit of a break, a one-week break. Um, So, again, some of those teams kind of settling in where they're at for their playoffs. Uh, some want it, some don't, but it is what it is, and we'll have to uh, wait until next week to see them back on track. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, Dover International Speedway last week was the first race of the round of 12 for the Cup Series. Uh, now, this weekend is going to be that second race, the middle race of this round at Talladega Super Speedway, and just like the trucks, it's going to be a wild card, so anything uh, can happen there. And uh, we'll do the preview for that truck series race at Talladega. I'm sorry, the cup series race at Talladega at 940 tonight. 
Uh, and then we'll finish up with our NASCAR Hot Topic sound off at 10. But on the thing about the Cup Series is we kind of had a little bit of a wild one already at Dover. <laughs> the big thing to me coming into this, two of the favorites we'll talk about, got to be Chase Elliott and Joey Logano at Talladega, and they need it. But then again, two that got to go in, somebody's got to come out. So we'll take a look at who that might be. Yes, indeed. It's it's uh, A lot can happen between now and their elimination race, which is going to be at Kansas Speedway next weekend. Uh, and uh, four more drivers will be eliminated from Cup Series uh, playoff competition. So uh, a lot to talk about here on Fan for Racing Radio tonight. And uh, we hope uh, we get all of our listeners revved up for this weekend of racing that's coming up here. Let's go ahead and get started with the ARCA Racing Series. They are not racing this weekend, but they put out some news today uh, that uh, fans can read about both on fanforacing.com as well as at the arcaracing.com website. Uh, 20 races in 20 tracks for 2020. So... uh, uh, a big article kind of detailing the schedule for the Arkham Menard Series for next season, as well as the tracks that are going to be included, Jay, in the Arca Showdown schedule. So I'm sure we'll talk about this during our hot topics as well, uh, but just kind of give you the highlights there. Yeah, there there are some things that are, when it comes to hot topics, I think we do need to talk about. Um, I like the fact that the schedule's out there. Again, we've talked about how it, the Arkham Menard Series is working next year with this 20-race schedule and then the 10-race showdown that will include the Arkham Menards East and West Series as well as their own separate individual schedules. But uh, there are a couple of things on there that piqued my interest and I'm going to bring up or somebody I'm sure will bring up during Hot Topics. Right. That 10-race schedule that they show here is actually a championship in its own uh, within the Arkham Menards Series and it's the uh, ARCA Showdown. So uh, drivers can win not only in the Arkham and Art Series East and the Arkham and Art Series West, the overall Arkham and Art Series, the 20-race schedule, but that 10-race schedule for the showdown is also another championship title opportunity. And that's something I'm happy to see that they did it. Uh, still include it, you know, it's been, prior to it's been known as the Sioux Chief Short Track Challenge. Uh, it still falls in line with that, that it's a separate uh, battle or championship within the main championship. And the fact that it does include now the Canon or what was the Canon will now be the Arkham Menards East and West. Uh, we talked a little bit all about that on our hot topics on Monday of some of the good and bad that goes with that. So we'll take another look at that and get Andy's in, input on it. Okay, also some other news that came out this week a couple of days ago is uh, a statistical audit was done for the Arkham Menard Series Championship point standings, and as, after that audit uh, took place, uh, it made some changes and uh, meant that there were some point adjustments for the Drivers' Point Series Championship. So a five-point adjustment was made for the championship points leader, Christian Eckes, Uh, and car owner and points for team owner Bill Venturini, as well as for 13th place driver Ty Gibbs and his owner, Coy Gibbs. Eckes' point total was actually lowered by five points, while Gibbs actually increased by five. So uh, that audit did what it was supposed to do. It found uh, an error, and um, 
uh, it allows them to make that change before they go into their championship run that will be taking place at uh, Kansas Speedway next week. Now, uh, again, uh, he was inadvertently credited with five bonus points for leading laps at Iowa Speedway. Gibbs was not. So Eckes, in fact, did not lead any laps at Iowa while uh, Gibbs did, in fact, lead those ten laps. So that's where the air came in, and uh, thank goodness they were able to make those changes now. Well, and I know we've had this with me tracking points for our fantasy thing. You know, mistakes happen even with computer systems and whatnot. There's still that that possibility of error. And, and like you said, they identified it and they corrected it. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. And they didn't try and hide it or uh, cover it up. I mean, they came forth and they said, hey, we missed it or whatever, and we changed it. So we fixed it. So I think that's a good thing, a good thing that they did. I, I agree. I think it is as well. And then also Ty Gibbs and Smith take home the last round of the Short Track Special Awards. So that was that's another interesting article, that, article that's out on uh, uh, ARCARacing.com. Another one, there's always some great articles up there, even throughout the off weeks or throughout the off season. Again, uh, normally uh, as the off season comes, check the site weekly versus daily, but uh, always some great, great articles up there on the ARCA Menards homepage. Absolutely. Now, going into uh, their race that comes up this weekend, let me give you the details there. Not this weekend, but the following weekend. Let me restate that. The ARCA Kansas 150 will be October the 18th. That's not this weekend, next weekend at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. And uh, that will take place at Kansas Speedway. This is the season finale so uh, it is a very, very important race. Christian Eckes just took over the series point standings and leads now by, what, 25 points? <laughs> yeah, with that with that change, uh, you're right. And I was looking to see, yeah, I didn't figure there'd be an entry up list, so we won't have the entry list to talk about yet tonight. No, but, but uh, we will go over it next week when we do the preview show. So Christian Eckes is the points leader. Uh, there is a possibility that Michael Self could take it back over. Uh, this is a very, very important race uh, with the points battle being as tight as it is. Uh, and Kansas Speedway is going to be an opportunity for both Christian Eckes and Michael Self teammates at Venturini Motorsports. So it's a do-not-miss event. And the last thing with that, I know we talk about it, especially being that that points championship is on the line with it being so close, but we still got several drivers that we fully expected to get a win this year, and it could come at Kansas. We'll have to wait and see, but that's a good track for a couple of drivers. You know, Brett Holmes, Travis Braden, and Joseph Graff have been there knocking on the door week in and week out. Uh, could play spoiler as far as that of uh, one of the two drivers in the championship battle winning away or winning that final race in the season. Uh, they're they're still there to make to finish off their season strong. So. Okay, and if you want to uh, set the DVR, it will be televised on FS2 on uh, Saturday, October the 18th, uh, and uh, fans will be able to watch that race live. And, uh, again, I said Saturday. That race is actually on Friday. 
So uh, make sure you go and check your uh, DVR and set it for that 7.30 p.m. Central Time. That would be 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time uh, so that you don't miss it. And we'll talk more about this, uh, like I mentioned, on Thursday night's show next week as we preview the Arkham Art Series. Also, the Arca Canon East, we talked a little bit about this. They finished up their... Uh, they have finished up their uh, season with Sam Mayer winning the championship there, so not a lot more to talk about there yet. Now, so I was pulling up. I know you mentioned again there the uh, twenty for t- twenty at twenty in twenty uh, schedule up there. Uh, other than that, the same articles up. It has still some good reads if you haven't checked them out yet. Talks about Sam Mayer dominating Dover to close out his championship season. Um, and a look back at his dominant season overall. So still some good information there if you haven't already been on the page to check out those articles. Okay. Now this is uh, – we're going to get into the NASCAR Cannon Pro Series East uh, because they're going to be returning to Roseville this weekend for the All-American uh, race out there. That is, The All-American, I was going to say 400. I don't know why. All-Ameri- it's was actually the Napa Auto Parts Enos 150 at All-American Speedway. So uh, that's that's uh, the name of the race. That will take place Saturday, October the 12th at uh, 6.45 Pacific time. That's going to be, uh, let's see, three hours difference. That would be 9.45 uh, p.m. for the East Coast Fair. Now, fans' choice... <coughs> Okay, we're getting a lot of background noise. <laughs> okay. Okay, Fans Choice TV, FansChoice.tv is also going to have the live streaming of the race, and uh, that will take place again at 6.45 p.m. Pacific Time, 9.45 Eastern Time. It also will be broadcast on NBC Sports Network on Thursday, October the 17th, at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a .33-mile paved oval. Last year's winner was Cole Rouse. He happened to also be the pole winner for last year's race. So um, we do have an entry list for this one, but uh, I think the big question going into this race, is anybody going to be able to catch Derek Krause, the points leader? Well, I think it's going to be really tough unless he happens to have, I'd say, at least two really, really rough weeks. Uh, I think he could get away with maybe one and then just maintain. But we know that team and that driver, he's going to be up there battling for the win regardless uh, of what's on the line. That's just in his nature and what that team does. Yes, right now he's got a 40-point advantage in the point standings uh, given all the results that he's had. Uh, it might be just insurmountable for the competitors to catch him, but there is a tight points battle uh, from second place through fourth place uh, that I think is going to make this race pretty exciting. Uh, but getting back to Kraus, he's only finished outside the top ten once in 11 races, uh, and this is his third year competing in the Canon Pro Series West with Bill McAnally Racing, and this is a really big race. Uh, for Bill McAnally Racing, uh, their kind of their home track, if you will. It most certainly is, and he's another one that we've talked about this with a couple of drivers of just the absolute dominant season they have had. 
Uh, we look at some of the other drivers that have had good stand or good seasons, but when you look at them in comparison of, of where they are behind Krause, he has just had a phenomenal season. Again, like you mentioned, only one race outside of the top 10 of 11. Uh, just unbelievable to have that type of year. Yes, yes, yes. Now, um, uh, Trevor Huddleston finished third at Meridian two weeks ago, but that put, that was enough to put him into second place in the series point standings. He leaped past he leapfrogged past Haley Deegan uh, because the two had an incident at Meridian, uh, and in that incident, Haley Deegan pretty much lost. She sustained the major damage uh, that hurt her. Now Huddleston's uh, teammate Jager Jones led the most laps at Meridian, and he looked to be on his way to victory lane until Cross did a bump and run uh, that went awry, and uh, that ended up ruining Jones's day. So with three races left in this rookie campaign, he's pretty hungry than ever, <laughs> hungrier than ever to go after that checker flag this weekend. It most certainly is. And, again, it's one of those of uh, we've seen this kind of go come full circle, but um, – Several of those drivers, again, whether they get up into the first place, you mentioned Derek Krause with almost an insurmountable points lead. Uh, they're still battling for the second through, what is it, fourth is only separated by eight points. So you better believe those drivers are looking at who they're racing for that points battle there. Yes, indeed. It, it's it's uh, This points battle from second to fourth is really going to be uh, where the action is going to be. Now, in addition to Deegan, uh, Krause and Deegan, uh, another driver for Vero McAnally Racing this weekend is Brittany Zamora. And also, uh, Derek Doring, a local modified racer at All-American Raceway uh, Speedway, is also going to be making his debut in the series. So he's going to be a fourth entry um, for uh, Bill McAnally Racing this weekend. And looking forward to seeing that again. It's one of those of uh, seeing these other drivers come in, especially from another class, whether it be super late models is generally your typical stepping stone to the ARCA. But to see these modified drivers and a team like that of Bill McAnally giving that local driver at, like you said, that the home track for them, a uh, great opportunity for, for that young driver. Yes, it is. Now, he, right now he's fourth in uh, the Wheeling All-American Series Division Two modified standings at that track. He does have one win there and four top fives, so that's pretty cool. Also coming off a fourth-place run, Josh Jackson, Jackson will be in the field <laughs> along with Josh Phenopoulos uh, he, with his sixth-place run. Uh, off his career top ten, Keith McGee will be back in action, as will Bridget Burgess. So a, couple, uh, a few new names that we'll see on the entry list this weekend as well. And, again, you look at – whoops, I'm looking at the points, not the entry list. Sorry about that. Uh, 17 cars, which, again, is, for an individual K&N series race, uh, that's a pretty full, full field. Um, when you talk about having 17 entries, especially being that it's not a cup weekend, we've seen that a couple of times when the cup drivers are in the area. But several of these guys getting those starts. And one you mentioned there, and the article is up on the homepage, Josh Vinopoulos coming off his career best sixth-place finish. You talk about the momentum being on their side, somebody that's going to look to finish their <laughs> season strong. 
Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, a couple of other names that we haven't mis- mentioned. Travis Milburn's been racing all season. He'll be in the 08 this weekend. Uh, Todd Zusa uh, is going to be in the 13 car this weekend. Uh, Dylan Caldwell is also going to be racing. He'll be in the number 34 car. John Wood will be in the number 38. Dylan Garner in the number 50. Takuma Koga in the number 77. Jack Wood in the 78. And I think that completes everybody on the entry list here. Yeah, again, I'm I'm super excited about it, just seeing uh, that many cars here for these K&N runs. And I know, again, the California ones, that's kind of their home base for the series as well. Um, as they spread out a little bit, we see some of those that don't make the trip. But to see to see that many cars here at this track is going to be phenomenal. It, it really is, and and uh, uh, they have two more races left after this race. Uh, so again, the, they're winding down their season, uh, but this is going to be a really important one. Kern is up next, and then after Kern will be their season finale uh, that will take place at Phoenix. Now, uh, to look at the series point standings, we mentioned that Derek Krause is 40 points ahead. We mentioned that the points are tight between second and fourth. Uh, Just to tell you how tight that is, uh, Trevor Huddleston in second place is just five points ahead of Haley Deegan, and Haley Deegan is just three points ahead of Jager Jones. So that's a matter of eight points between second and fourth place. Like I said, that's where the real action is going to be. Should something happen to Derek Krause and that points lead closes up, that might shift that focus a little bit. But I really think, like I said, these three drivers are going to kind of be watching each other um, more than anything as they they try and uh, battle for that second spot. Again, eight points, that could easily be made up in one race, let alone three. That's true. Now, Jager... Uh, doesn't have a win yet this season in 11 starts, but uh, Trevor and Haley both have two wins. They both have five. Well, they all three have five top fives, and uh, Trevor has ten top tens. Uh, Haley Deegan and Jager Jones are both at eight top tens. Uh, Trevor doesn't have any polls yet this season. Haley has two, and Jager Jones has one. Uh, they're all really close as far as average finish. Uh, their average finishes uh, range between 6.5 and 7.0, which is uh, pretty impressive. Uh, and you better believe that all three of those drivers are going to be looking to improve upon that this weekend. And one you mentioned there, we talked about Derek Krause's stats. Trevor Huddleston has that same thing of 10 top 10 finishes out of 11 races. Now, five of his have been top fives versus Derek Krause's eighth top five. But, again, that tells you what kind of season he had. You know, two wins and 10 top tens out of 11 races is certainly a strong season. Uh, But, again, with the dominance that Krause has had, it kind of gets overlooked. It does. You know, these uh, top five drivers are represent two race organizations within the K&N Post Series West. Uh, the three drivers from Bill McAnally, Derek Krause, Haley Deegan, and Brittany Zamora uh, make up uh, three of those drivers. And then Trevor Huddleston and Jager Jones in second and fourth are all both from Sunrise Ford Racing. 
So uh, it looks like it's going to be another battle between Sunrise Ford and Bill McAnally Racing, Jay. And we have come to expect that, not that there aren't any other teams out there. We've seen several that certainly can get up there and mix them in, especially if they hit the right setup um, at a particular track. Uh, By no means are they out of anything. Uh, We look at Todd Souza. He's got seven top tens, so we know he's up there battling with them, and Travis Milborn with five. So, again, some other great drivers that kind of get maybe a little overshadowed, but uh, nothing to sneeze at as far as their season. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, these guys are all uh, racing really hard this season and doing very, very well. Uh, and there's been several drivers that have raced part-time this year as well and had uh, successful seasons. Uh, and some of those, we hope, will be back next year uh, as full-time competitors. All right. Uh, we're coming up here at the top of the hour. Before we get into the uh, Camping World Truck Series, Jay, do you want to give an update uh, on where we are with the uh, fantasy game? All right. Uh, since the Xfinity Series is off for the week, I'll start there. Uh, Sharon leads that one at 88 points, 10, 11 points over Sam at 77. I'm at 71, James at 55, and Andy at 53. We'll have to take a little bit of a break from them uh, as we focus on the trucks this weekend. I got a 10-point advantage there at 65 to 55 uh, over Andy with Sharon 38, James 30, sorry, Sam 36, and then James 35. And then on the Cup Series, and I believe uh, we have James has to come in with his Cup pick yet. The only one we don't have in for the Cup Series, I think the trucks, we got a Cup. No, I got that backwards. Truck Series, we got four of them in. James has yet to come in. And then we got three left on the cup side. So uh, we'll hit those again as maybe we start hot topic and see if I can get James in before then. Um, But on the cup side, on the cup side, that one been the tightest all year. Myself and Sharon tied at 93 points now. Sam at 88 right behind us. Andy at 69 and James at 68. And uh, overall, uh, I'm at 229. Sharon's at 219. Again, only a 10-point gap there. Sam at 201, Andy at 177, and then James at 158. But we're coming up into here where we could have 30 points a weekend once all three start running the same weekends. It's going to be pretty amazing. Uh, anyway, I, I'm I'm really uh, uh, real pleased with how this is uh, playing out this year, and uh, I hope that everybody else is enjoying it as much as I am. And uh, I know you put in some work to make that all happen, Jay, and uh, we do appreciate all your efforts there. Again, it's my pleasure. I enjoy doing it, and I know we've had a lot of fun here within the group messenger, especially uh, throughout race days as we go back (laughs) and forth. Yes, indeed. Okay, we'll go ahead and get into the NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Uh, They are back on track after three weeks off. Uh, this weekend, uh, they will be racing the Sugarland Shine 250 at Talladega Super Speedway this Saturday, October the 12th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will carry the coverage and pre-race coverage starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, along with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 250.04 miles over 94 laps. 
Stage one will end on lap 20, stage two on lap 40, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 94. Now, last year's winner was Timothy Peters. All right. I'll go into the uh, driver highlights, the parade lap highlights from this week. Let me find the uh, bottom one here as I scroll yeah, down. Yeah, if we can, Jay, just do the highlights for each of these drivers uh, versus all, right. all the other details. All right. Well, we'll start with Brett Moffat in the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet, obviously battling for the championship. He was uh, last year's championship winner with Hattori Racing with six wins. And this year, and he's made, uh, I'm sorry, won the uh, Gander Outdoor Truck Series races at Iowa, Chicagoland, Bristol, and Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Puts him as the top seed, 17 points ahead of second place, Austin Hill. Uh, currently 11 top fives, 14 top tens. Average starting position of 4.1 and a finish of 8.2. And that'll tell you why he's at the top of the heat. <laughs> That's true. Okay, uh, moving on now to the next driver is Tyler Ankrum. Uh, he enters the 2019 Gander Outdoor Truck Series playoffs. Round six is the sixth and final seed. He has 3,005 points. Uh, he's 29 points behind the playoff standings leader, Brett Moffat, and nine points behind fourth place, Stuart Friesen, in the final championship four slot. Now, Ankrum clinched the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors uh, in the truck series for 2018 because he's the only rookie this season to have made the playoffs. Uh, through the first 19 races of the season, Ankrum had only competed in 16 events. Uh, that's because of his age. He was too young to compete at the beginning of the season. In his 13 starts, he's posted one win. That was at Kentucky. He has three top fives, and he has seven top tens. He has yet to win a stage in 2019, but he has accumulated five playoff points. He's also led 52 of 2,438 laps, and his 2019 average starting position is 11.9, while his finishing spot is uh, somewhere around 14.1. All right, next we'll look at Stuart Friesen in the number 52 Halmar Friesen Racing Chevrolet. Again, he picked up his first career Gander Outdoor Truck Series at Eldora Speedway uh, earlier this year, which, excuse me, locked him into the playoffs. And other than that, on the year, he's seeded fourth going into this playoff round at 3,014, 18 points behind series leader Brett Moffitt, five ahead of fifth place, Matt Crafton, which will be the cutoff. This is his second career playoff appearance, and so far this year he's posted the one win coming at Eldora, 10 top fives, 13 top tens, and a pole at Martinsville Speedway. He's picked up two stage wins and accumulated those 14 playoff points in route. He's had a 9.1 starting position and a finishing position of the same number, 9.1. Okay. Uh, next up, we're looking at uh, Austin Hill in the number 16 for Atory Racing Enterprises. And uh, he heads to Talladega Super Speedway. He's second in the point standings. 
and 17 points behind the leader, Brett Moffitt. He's just six points ahead of Matt Crafton, who's the first driver outside of the top four. In his first career Gander playoff, this is his first career uh, playoff appearance. And through 19 races this season, he'll put up three wins. He won at Daytona, Michigan, and Las Vegas. He's got six top fives, 11 top tens, and three poles at Chicago, Pocono, and Las Vegas. Now, he has yet to win a stage this season, but he has accumulated 17 playoff points. He's led 151 of 2,813 laps completed. His average starting position is 8.6, and his average finishing position is 12.8. All right, now we're going to take a quick look at breaking down the round of six tracks. I'm going to kind of highlight those as well. Then they open that round at Talladega Super Speedway this Saturday, which is a 2.66-mile high bank super speedway. 33 degrees of banking in the corner and 16.5 along that front stretch. Again, going to be an absolute wild card. And the second one of the round, kind of a wild card in there, but itself a little bit different, but that would be Martinsville Speedway, affectionately known as the Paperclip. It's a 0.52-mile short track, only 12 degrees of banking in the turns and perfectly flat on the straights. So a little bit different shift there. And then they'll wrap up this final round at ISM Raceway, located near Phoenix, Arizona. That's kind of in the middle. It's a one-mile track, recently reconfigured uh, prior to the 2018 fall race, moved the start-finish line to the former backstretch just before that dog leg. Um, the banking's there, different on ends. Turns one and two are 11 degrees, while it's only nine degrees in turns three and four. So three very unique tracks um, throughout this round and uh, certainly provides some excitement here as we figure out the final four heading into Homestead, Miami. Okay. Now, uh, winning the pole has been a big part of uh, being in the playoffs this season uh, because 10 different drivers have combined to win 16 polo awards in the truck series through the opening 19 races this season. Uh, qualifying was canceled due to weather for three races. Uh, that was at Atlanta, Iowa, and Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. And six of those drivers qualified for this year's series playoffs. Now, the lone Gander out, uh, the lone Truck Series um, uh, playoff drivers who haven't yet collected a pole. That would be Tyler Ankrum, who is still in title contention, and Johnny Sauter, who was eliminated after the opening round. All the playoff drivers with a pole won at least one of them during the regular season. Also, Brett Moffat leads the pack with three poles this season. Uh, two of those came during the opening round of the playoffs at Bristol and again at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. His third pole was earlier this year at Dover. Austin Hill has a pair of poles. He w took the pole at Daytona and Michigan. Uh, Matt Crafton has two at Kansas and Charlotte. And eliminated playoff player Grant Infinger took the pole in the first Texas race in Kentucky. Now, Ross Chastain uh, has one pole at Michigan and Stuart Friesen uh, one pole at the first Martinsville race. And uh, they have led the field to green at least once. So uh, it's kind of an interesting stats there with regard to the poll and the playoffs. 
Well, me and these guys have had a couple weeks off. We've talked about this before, but we'll highlight it real quick again. The track record of your champs at Talladega uh, aren't exactly great. It's, it hasn't been the most welcoming for track for title holders in recent years. Since the Gander Outdoor Truck Series began racing there in 2006, no champion, and I repeat that, no champion has won at the 2.66-mile Alabama Super Speedway during their title season. Only, In fact, only two series champions have even visited Victory Lane at the Super Speedway at some point in their career. And that's the 2006 and 10 champion, Todd Bodine. He won there in 07, 8, and 16. And Johnny Sauter at the 2000, I'm sorry, Todd Bodine won there in 2007 and 8. 2016 title holder, Johnny Sauter, won the 2013 race there. So when we look at active drivers who currently hold championships, Sauter leads them all with the win, three top fives and five top tens in 10 races at Talladega. Again, his win came in 2013, but he's averaged a finish of 15.8 in the races there since. His most recent was cut short by a wreck, relegating him to a 22nd place finish. Matt Crafton, who was the 2013 and 14 champion, is next with 13 starts at Dega, yielding only one top five, which is a fourth back in 2010, uh, and four top tens. His average finish is 16.8, and he's had three DNFs, with his most trip, though, being a good one, finishing ninth. Now, Brett Moffitt, the 2018 champion from last year, he's only made one visit to the track, and he finished 17th there last fall in his championship run. Okay, now we'll take a look at the uh, champion, the six drivers that are in this round of six in the truck series. Tyler Ankrum drives the number 17 for GGR Crosley Toyota. Uh, we mentioned that he is in that sixth place in that uh, super speedways are a super big unknown for Tyler Ankrum because he hasn't raced on them yet. <laughs> He's just 18 years old now, so he missed the opening three races of the season that included Daytona because of the age restriction. So this weekend marks Ankrum's very first visit to one of the massive high-speed circuits like Daytona or Talladega. So it's going to be a, a, a big deal for Tyler Ankrum this weekend. It most certainly is your first time there, and it's in the playoffs. Now we look at Matt Crafton, the experienced veteran of the group, number 88, Thor Sport Racing Ford at 3,011 points. You will have to put that pass aside when they come to Talladega to have a shot at using this super speedway as a springboard into the championship four. As I mentioned in those 13 appearances at the 2.66-mile circuit, he has a lone top five at fourth in 2010. He's managed only four top tens and one of the, only one in the most recent five races, and that's ninth in 2017. His average finish of 16.8 at Dega and three DNFs, two within the last three races, means his luck hasn't much been much better at Daytona, though. Uh, 19 starts there, he has a pair of top five finishes and eight top tens. His top fives are spaced nearly a decade apart as they came in 2010, and then fifth, here in 2019. She's an average finish of 14.4 at the Florida Super Speedway and four DNFs there as well. However, none since 2012. So again, these guys trying to shake that Super Speedway luck. Yes, indeed. Stuart Friesen, though, 
the number he drives the number 52 for Hallmark Friesen is Chevrolet. He's at 3,014 points, just three points ahead of Matt Crafton. He has a modicum of success at Talladega. He's made two appearances at that huge track. He finished sixth in his most recent visit, putting up a respectable 17th place in 2017. So his luck hasn't been as good at Daytona, where he crashed in all three races that he started there. However, Due to the mass amount of attrition at the season opener in Florida this year, he did manage to finish 10th place despite crashing late and finishing three laps down. So uh, hopefully he'll have better luck at Talladega this weekend. Now we'll hit Ross Chastain, driver of the number 45 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet, sitting at 3,016 points. Chastain has twice finished third at the Super Speedways in the Candor Outdoor Truck Series, including his most recent start at one of those venues, which was Daytona in February, over a total of eight races on those tracks. He's made three appearances specifically at Talladega Super Speedway, but none since 2016. In his first showing in Alabama in 2012, he was involved in a mid-race crash and finished 34th. The following year, though, he put up his best finish at the track, placing third. Then in 2016, he finished 15th. Now at Daytona, he's made five starts there, posting an average finish of 21.0, with three of his races ending early as a result of crashes. Nissan Motorsports is the fifth different team with whom Chastain has raced at a super speedway. He uh, raced there at Talladega and Daytona in 2012 with SS Greenlight Racing, Brad Keselowski racing at Talladega and Daytona in 2013. Uh, 2014 Daytona was with Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises. Bowling Motorsports in Talladega at 2016 and Daytona in 17. And now Nice Motorsports in Daytona and Talladega for 2019. Also of note, Chastain, uh, regarding Chastain on super speedways, earlier this season he did win the July edition of the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Daytona driving for college racing. So he's got some experience. It's a little spread out over different teams. See if sticking with the same team helps improve that consistency. Yes, indeed. And uh, I think we'll see great things from Ross Chastain. Now the number 16 for Hattori Racing Enterprises is driven by Austin Hill. Uh, He has 3,017 points. He's just one point ahead of Ross Chastain. Now, this fall will mark Hall's first third trip to Talladega Super Speedway. He's finished 10th there last fall and was 22nd when he raced in Alabama in 2015. Uh, Hill's already tamed Daytona, though, because he won the season opener this year to clinch his playoff berth uh, earliest of all the competitors. And in his other two races at Daytona, he placed 30th in 2015, and he finished 11th in 2018. So I look for Austin Hill to be pretty good this weekend. Certainly a one to watch. In fact, I might have to change my pick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Certainly one to watch. I know. I I do that all the time while we're reading stuff on our preview show. I'm like, oh, man, I should have picked him. But uh, last one we'll talk about is your points leader, uh, Brett Moffitt. Now in the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet, talk about it at 3,034 points. Now, Super Speedways haven't been Moffitt's best friend in his limited appearances at the venues. 
He has only made one visit to Talladega this race last fall, started eighth and finished 17th in route to his Gander Outdoor Truck Series title. But he's made three starts at NASCAR's other super speedway, Daytona. His best finish there was 22nd in 2017. Since then, he's had a pair of 26th place finishes. The good news for him is he's got those built-up points to fall back on if he needs. Yes, uh, those playoff points are so important. Okay, now following the uh, last truck race that uh, these guys had, which was at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, uh, and that was when the regular season champion Grant Dinfinger and his Thor Sport racing teammate Johnny Sauter were eliminated from postseason contention, and that's what narrowed the field down to six drivers who begin this next round this Saturday. Now, this is going to mark the first time since the elimination style playoff format was introduced to the Truck Series in 2016 that Sauter is not going to be a part of that championship four at Homestead, Miami. That's going to be weird. Now, Brent Moffitt came out of Las Vegas as a top seed moving into the next round and has 3,034 points with the reset. Austin Hill, the winner from Las Vegas, trails him by just 17 points while Ross Chastain is just one more point back at 2016, and Stuart Friesen in fourth place at 3,014. Those are your top four drivers right now. Now, Matt Crafton and Tyler Ankrum are on the outside looking in. Uh, Crafton at 3,011 points, Ankrum at 3,005 points. They round out that group of six drivers who are going to be battling over these next three races for a shot to win a title at Miami. All right, and then we're going to look at, uh, again, just them being back on the track as a whole. Again, I believe it's been three consecutive off weeks behind them. The Gander Outdoor Truck Series starts this round of six again at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. Now, Talladega, again, has hosted 13 truck races, that first coming in 2016, which back then was won by Mark Martin in a Ford happened to be Ford's only victory at the 2.66-mile behemoth in the truck series. But the track has seen four multi-race winners, again, led with three victories by Timothy Peters in, in 2014, 15, and 18. Mentioned Todd Bogine in 2007 and 2008, as well as Kyle Busch in 2009 and 10, and Parker Klinderman. In 2012 and 17, they each have two wins. Excuse me. Kligerman is the only multi-race winner to not post consecutive trips to victory lane. A little bit of an odd note there, but <coughs> excuse me. Everybody else did it in consecutive years. With the exception of Peter's most recent win last season, all of the multi-win drivers notched their victories in a Toyota, which included Peter's first two wins. Overall, Toyota leads the OEM race with nine wins at Talladega, while Chevrolet has three. In total, eight different drivers have recorded wins at the Alabama track. Grant Enfinger in 2016 and Johnny Sauter in 2013 are the only current full-time Gander Outdoor Truck Series drivers who have a previous win there. The eighth driver not mentioned above so far, and that is Mike Wallace, who won in 2011. Now, for Enfinger and Kligerman, those both recorded. That was their first career Gander Outdoor Truck Series 
to come on the big stage of Talladega. And defending winner Peters is not entered in this weekend's race, nor is Kligerman with 2017 winner. The only two previous victories, Enfinger or Sauter, are on the entry list for Saturday's event. And there has yet to be a multi-time pole winner for the truck race at Talladega. 13 races, 13 different pole winners. And we're guaranteed to get that 14th different one this weekend, as none of the former pole sitters are entered this weekend as well. A couple last notes. The youngest pole winner at Talladega belongs to Cole Custer in 2016, as he was 18 years, 8 months, 29 days years old. And the oldest was Ron Hornaday Jr. in 2010 at 52 years, 4 months, and 10 days. Most recent pole winner, again, we said isn't entered. That was David Gillen. And then Tyler Reddick in 2014 is the only driver to, who recorded his first career Gander Outdoor Truck Series pole at the 2.66-mile super speedway. So a lot of good information there. Again, can't wait to see these trucks back on track. I know. It's going to be fun to watch this truck race. Uh, I, I've missed seeing them on track. Uh, and to know that they're just back in action this weekend is uh, uh, all good and well, uh, that uh, we will get a chance to watch them race again. And uh, I think there's been some surprises in this truck series. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll have to see what happens in the first race of this round of six for these guys. Uh, But this is going to be an interesting round as well. Let's uh, go ahead and move on to Yes. Let's go ahead and move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, They'll be racing uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend, Saturday, October the 19th, the Kansas Lottery 300. That should take place around 3 p.m., and the coverage for that race will be on NBC Sports Network. Uh, Last year's winner was John Hunter Nemechek. So, uh, again, they're not racing this weekend, but we'll kind of go over a few things uh, to help everybody kind of catch up and know what's going on in that Xfinity series uh, in preparation for next weekend's race. Well, we'll start with that having been the elimination race, now with just uh, two Sunoco rookies left. With the elimination of John Hunter Nemechek and Justin Haley from the Xfinity series playoffs, that just leaves two Sunoco Rookie of the Year contenders to challenge for the end-of-year honors, and that's Chase Briscoe and Noah Gregson. Currently, Briscoe holds the rookie standings lead by eight points over Gregson following Dover. But looking ahead, Gregson will be making his series track debut next weekend at Kansas Speedway, while Briscoe will be returning looking to rebound from his series track debut there last season, where he finished 30th due to suspension issues. Okay, now I've got some charts here, uh, but let's talk about the eight playoff contenders to advance to the next round. Uh, They had their elimination round last weekend at Dover, so this week uh, they're off. They'll get a little bit of a break before they go into the first round of this, uh, the first race of this round, uh, and uh, we'll get a look at these eight drivers. Now, Eight of the original 12 have moved on to the round of H, which will begin this Saturday, this fall, a week from this Saturday at Kansas Speedway. Uh, in order of seating, uh, those drivers include Christopher Bell, who's driving the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing, 
Cole Custer in the number 00 for Stuart Hawes Racing, Tyler Ruddick in the number 2 for Richard Childress Racing, Austin Sindrick in the number 12 for Team Penske, Justin Algauer in the number 7 for Junior Motorsports, Chase Briscoe in the number 98 for Stuart Hawes Racing with Fred Biaggi, and Michael Annette in the number 1 for Junior Motorsports, along with Noah Gregson in the number 9 for Junior Motorsports. Now, uh, just to recap uh, the round of tw- 12 here, uh, the Xfinity Series round of 12 saw three different winners. Christopher Bell captured the first win at Richmond, then non-playoff driver A.J. Allmendinger took the checkered flag uh, at the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway the following week. And last weekend, it was Cole Custer rounding out the three-race segment with his victory at Dover. Now, four drivers were eliminated after Dover, and that included uh, John Hunter Nemechek, Justin Haley, Ryan Sieg, and Brandon Jones. Now, there's a bunch of stats here and charts. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll try to post those on fabforracing.com uh, sometime tomorrow so that fans can kind of look that order over, especially if you're looking at fantasy picks for this weekend. Most certainly uh, some great information to look at there as uh, that has their both their uh, recap of the playoffs so far as well as the, what they're looking at for the next four tracks for the as future. they wrap up yeah. wrap up their season. There you go. Um, now with that, the round of eight, that championship is really continuing to take shape with the Xfinity series, first three playoff races in the books, those eight drivers moving on to the round of eight to battle it out for the chance at the title in the championship four finale at Homestead, Miami speedway. But first the the eight playoff drivers contenders must face each other yet at Kansas speedway, Texas motor speedway and ISM raceway in Phoenix to decide which of those four get to move on. Though the series is off this weekend, Kansas Speedway will be up next in a little over a week. Now, nestled next to just west of Kansas City is a true gem of the area is Kansas Speedway. And I've personally been there. It is a great facility. The 1.5-mile paved oval track has variable banking in the turns, ranging from 17 to 20 degrees. This will be the Will, Kansas will host this season's fourth Xfinity Series playoff race. It's the Kansas Lottery 300, and that'll be Saturday, October 19th. And it'll be that race will be a 200-lap, 300-mile playoff event, broken into the three stages. The first on lap, the first two stages will each be 45 laps, and the final stage will be 110. Uh, next weekend's race will be the 19th time the Xfinity Series race has competed at Kansas Speedway. The, fir- the first series event at the facility was back in 2001, September 29, 2001. I didn't realize it had been that long. Um, was won by 2000 Series champion Jeff Green. Uh, the first 18 Xfinity Series races at Kansas have produced 14 different pole winners and 14 different race winners. Kyle Busch leads the series and wins at Kansas with four. Now, since the inception of the playoffs in 2016, Kansas has maintained the fourth race in the postseason. Interestingly, Kansas and Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course uh, are the only two active tracks in the playoffs that have not had a playoff driver 
win their playoff races, and that means ever. In 2016, Monster Energy Cup Series driver Kyle Busch won that inaugural Kansas Xfinity playoff race. In 2017, then Gander Outdoor Truck Series uh, driver Christopher Bell grabbed his first Xfinity Series career win in that Kansas playoff race. And again in 2018, it was John Hunter Nemechek on a part-time Xfinity schedule at that time grabbed the checkered flag to play postseason spoiler. And the Kansas Speedway playoff race will be the eighth different race on the 1.5. I'm sorry, the eighth different race on a 1.5 mile track this season. Of the playoff drivers, Tyler Reddick has put up the best average finish on 1.5 mile tracks this season with a 5.0, followed by Noah Gregson at 6.7, Michael Annette at 7.0, Cole Custer at 10.7, Chase Briscoe 11.0, Austin Sindrick has 11.9, Christopher Bell 12.9, and Justin Eilgar at 13.1. And that really is kind of uh, confusing when you look at it of a 1.5-mile track <laughs> kind of being the bread and butter uh, your top contenders uh, a little bit more towards the back end of that list, with the exception of Tyler Reddick. So that that bodes well for Tyler. Yeah, I'm going back to these charts that we were talking about and looking at the through, uh, the postseason so far. There's been three races, and that was one of the stats that kind of popped out to me there as well. Uh, the driver with the best. Uh, average finish in those three races. Let's see if I can follow this through. Um, I believe is Justin Augauer. Is that right? I wish they would have colored every other one here. One, two, three, four. Uh, if you're looking at average finish, it actually goes to Austin Sindrick with two points. Austin Sindrick, that's right. Austin Sindrick has the best average finish. At 2.7, uh, followed by uh, Justin Algauer at 3.3. I think that's pretty cool. In second place is Cole Custer with a 4.0 average finish. Uh, and then you've got a couple of drivers that are about the same Chase Briscoe and Noah Gregson. It's both at 6.3. Uh, then you go to. Tyler Reddick has an 8.0 average finish, and Christopher Bell, in three races, his average finish is 12.7. I think that's an amazing stat uh, for those first three races in the uh, series. Uh, And then moving ahead and looking at the average finishes at the upcoming tracks, you kind of already covered it here. Um, uh, Well, Kansas Speedway, average finish, let me do this. Two starts at Kansas Speedway. The best average finish there is Tyler Reddick at 3.5. Then you've got uh, then you've got a bunch of drivers. They're all 11th and back. Justin Algauer at 11.6. Christopher Bell at 19.0. Michael Annette at 19.4. Um, Cole Custer at 26.7. Chase <laughs> uh, Briscoe at 30. Austin Sindrick at 39, and Noah Gregson uh, is at 0-0, meaning that he doesn't have any starts there. So it's pretty wild, some of these uh, stats that we're looking at here. Uh, Texas Motor Speedway, it gets a little bit better. Uh, Chase Briscoe has the best average finish there in two starts at 7.5. Austin Sindrick at 7.7 in three starts. 
Cole Custer with five starts, 9.8. Christopher Bell, 10.8 with four starts. Noah Gregson, 13, one start. Justin Algauer, 13.1 and 18 starts. Tyler Reddick, 15 and four starts. And Michael Annette uh, at 15.3 and 14 starts. Uh, then you go to ISM Raceway. Uh, and Chase Briscoe has the best average start there, or finish, I mean. In one start, it's a 6.0. Tyler Reddick in four starts at 8.3, along with Austin Sendrick in three starts. Justin Algauer, 9.1 and 18 starts. Cole Custer, 9.6 and five starts. Christopher Bell, 9.8 in four starts. Noah Gregson, 11.0 in one start. And Michael Annette, 15.2 in 14 starts. Uh, the last race of this playoffs is going to be at Homestead, Miami. This is where we're going to find out who's going to win the championship. Uh, we don't know yet which four drivers are going to be uh, in that championship run, but let me give you some stats here that are pretty enlightening. Tyler Reddick has the best average finish there at 2.5 in two starts. Austin Sindrick in one start is at 5.0. Cole Custer in three starts is 6.7. Chase Briscoe in one start is 13.0. Justin Algauer in nine starts is 14.1. Michael Annette in eight starts, 18.4. Christopher Bell in two starts, 23.5. Noah Gregson doesn't have a start yet at Homestead, Miami, so his numbers are at zero. Uh, Pretty interesting stats there, Jay. It certainly does. First thing I look at there is, again, just and this is strictly going by those averages finishes, but if you look at the uh, the three tracks and their average finish, looking at my, who might advance on, now you got to factor in as well. Christopher Bell obviously has some points to fall back on, but looking at that uh, average finishes over those three races, the four that would advance to homestead miami based off that a little bit different than what we might expect but then when you get to miami homestead itself uh tyler reddick cole custer two that of the big three that we kind of expect to be there let's assume christopher bell gets in on points nonetheless um who that fourth driver is if it happens to be austin Sindrick, those are the top three tyler reddick at 2.5 austin Sindrick at a 5.0 and cole custer at a 6.7 um, really could be a factor. We know Cole Custer runs really well there, Austin only having the one start. But as you mentioned, Christopher Bell at 23.5 in two starts, uh, that's that's not great. So, I mean, his the points he's built up this year could get him there, but they're not going to carry him through because that one comes down to who wins or who's the best of who the wins? four. <laughs> that's right, and, and he's got to hope uh... – He uh, can improve his driving at that particular track uh, in his third start there. Maybe the third start will be the charm. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, But uh, that really is some interesting stats. And I will go ahead and post those at fanforacing.com because they are so interesting. Uh, And I think they will be helpful to fans as they look at their fantasy picks uh, coming up in the next few weeks. All right, Uh, we're a little bit early, but let's go ahead and start here with the Monster Energy Cup Series. Uh, The 1000Bulbs.com 500 at Talladega Super Speedway this Sunday, October the 13th, will start at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. 
NBC will carry the pre-race coverage as well as the broadcast of the race starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, the radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 500.08 miles over 188 laps. Stage 1 will end on lap 55, stage 2 on lap 110, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 188. Last year's winner in this race at Talladega is Eric Almarola. Well, and when we take a look at our parade laps and some drivers to highlight, got a little bit of a variety this week, which I like. I'm going to start with Ty Dillon. He's 27 years old out of Louisville, North Carolina, coming off a 23rd place finish at Dover in the number 13 Jermaine Racing Chevrolet and led his first lap since Talladega Bay Race. And Dillon started the season with six top 20 runs in the opening eight races, been good at the big tracks, earning a season-best fourth-place finish in the Daytona 400-miler in July and was sixth in the Daytona 500. He led seven laps there and finished 17th at Talladega in May and was 15th in this October race last year. He's never finished worse than 17th in five starts, and his best showing is 11th in the 2017 fall race. Jermaine Racing and longtime sponsor Geico will help Ty Dillon honor his grandfather, Richard Childress, this weekend with a throwback scheme uh, for the race. The scheme will mimic the green of Childress's 1969 fall Talladega ride when he made his first Premier Series start while competing in the inaugural event at the Super Speedway. That's pretty cool. I can't wait to see it. Okay, now Clint Boyer is really in the midst of a very highly competitive playoff run. He drives the number 14 Ford for Stuart Haas Racing. Now, last weekend at Dover, he was 10th, and his third con- that was his third consecutive top 10 finish in four playoff races. He had six top 10 finishes in the last seven races, and his 10th place ranking is the highest he's risen since early summer. Now, Boyer is one of only four drivers to win multiple times at Talladega. He earned his trophies in back-to-back fall races uh, during the 2010 and 11 season. Uh, He also has seven top five and 13 top 10 finishes in 27 starts at Talladega. Twice he he finished runner-up. That was in 2011 and 2018. And twice he finished third, both the 2014 season races. Now, Boyer was also runner-up to a Stuart Haas Racing teammate last October. Um, and uh, that was when Eric Almarola was the winner. So, and in May at Talladega, he finished 29th. So a little bit of a mixed bag there for uh Clint Boyer, but he does have some really good runs at Talladega. Well, and one driver who made news already this year uh, going into next year, and that's Chris Chris Busher, age 26, out of Prosper, Texas. Now, he suffered an engine problem at Dover last weekend, but has turned an otherwise turned in an otherwise solid season. He had 17 consecutive top 20 runs through the midseason. His best showing of the year in the number 37, JTG Daughtery Chevrolet, was a sixth place at the Charlotte uh, Charlotte 600-mile race. 
Busher was 21st at Talladega in the October playoff last season and 30th this past May. His best showing at the track is 11th, and that came in May of 2018. Okay. A fan favorite, Matt Benedetto is uh, 28 out of Grass Valley, California, earning his career best seventh top ten of the season uh, last Sunday at Dover. Uh, at Dover, he finished seventh in the number 95 for Levine Family Racing in a Toyota. And both his top five, three, and top ten efforts are a career best. And he sh- shows up at Talladega, a big track, eager to see if he can add another impressive super speedway showing to his young resume. Uh, and it could be, this could be Matt DiBenedetto's weekend. He led a race best 49 laps in the Daytona 500, but he did finish 28th after being collected in that late race incident. He answered that with an eighth place finish in the July night race there. And this weekend, he'd love to raise his performance level at Talladega, where he was 31st in May and 30th in this 2018 playoff race. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto is a good super speedway racer. His results don't always show it, uh, but I look to see him up there contending up front. He most certainly is. And another one that uh, we're going to have to wait and see, kind of a little bit of a surprise so far in these playoffs, is Alex Bowman, 26 out of Tucson, Arizona. Now, he's proven to be at his best in clutch situations. He rallied to move into the second round of the playoffs with a runner-up finish at the Charlotte Roval just two weeks ago and answered that with a third-place run at the Dover second-round opener last weekend. The driver of the number 88, Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, has three top ten finishes in the four playoff races, and his seventh-place ranking in the standings is the highest since the season-opening Daytona 500. Bowman was runner-up at Talladega this May, part of a three-race run of second-place finishes. It was only his second career top ten at Talladega, however. He was 33rd in the playoff race last year. Okay, now in the number four for Stuart Haas Racing Ford is Kevin Harvick, 43 years old, from Bakersfield, California. Now, he continues to excel when it matters most. Uh, Last weekend at Dover, he finished fourth, and he's finished in the top five in five of the last six races. If we go back 11 races, he has 10 top ten finishes, including three victories and a runner-up in the playoff opener at Las Vegas. Now, Harvick is a former Talladega winner, so earning a trophy in the spring there in 2010. Uh, However, he finished 38th in May and was 28th in last year's playoff race. Although he has 15 top 10 finishes and 37 starts at Talladega, he has only two top 10 efforts in the last 10 races at that track. Well, I've got to talk about another one that uh, some news about next year, a little uncertain yet, but that's Daniel Hamrick, age 28, out of Kannapolis, North Carolina. He's coming off a 20 per, 21st place finish at Dover last weekend, but heads to the track, Talladega Super Speedway, where he earned the best finish of his first-year cup career, and that was a fifth place this past May. Now, right now, Hamrick is ranked 25th in the series championship standings, tops among the rookie drivers. He's had finishes of 25th or better in the last four races. 
in that fifth place at Talladega this spring is his only top five of the season. But certainly as he looks towards next year, hopes to turn in some great finishes here as we wrap up the season. Yes, indeed. Now in the number 11 for Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota is Denny Hamlin, 38, of Chesterfield, Virginia. He led a race best 218 laps last week at Dover, and he finished fifth. Uh, He has two top ten finishes in four playoff races, including a third at Richmond just two weeks ago. Right now he's ranked second in the point standings behind his JGR teammate, Martin Truex Jr. Now, Hamlin is also a former winner at Talladega Super Speedway. He took the trophy in 2014 when he rallied from a 34th place position on the starting grid. He's had six top fives and 10 top 10 finishes in 27 Talladega starts. Seven times, however, he's finished 30th or worse. His recent work is encouraging, though, for this weekend. He has four finishes of 11th or better in the last six races at the Super Speedway. So uh, Danny Hamlin could have a good week this week. Well, he's the first one we're going to talk about when we talk about competition highlights on the year. Uh, Danny Hamlin became became the seventh driver to win multiple pole positions this season, out qualifying the field at Dover, Last Sunday, his two, pole, his two pole positions are the only ones earned by the four-car Joe Gibbs Racing team in 2019. Stuart Haas's racing or Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick and Hendrick Motorsports William Byron lead all drivers with five poles each. Now Kyle Larson's win at Dover makes him the 12th different race winner in 2019, and with that, six teams have won races led by Joe Gibbs Racing's 15 overall. All four of the JGR drivers, Martin Truex Jr. with six, Denny Hamlin with four, Kyle Busch with four, and Eric Jones with one have completed or have one victory. Chip Ganassi Racing is the only other team whose entire driver lineup, and that includes Kyle Larson and Kurt Busch, that have victories. While Larson pulled away to a nearly two-second win at Dover, the average margin of victory for the 30-race season so far is 1.696 seconds, with 15 races remaining with a margin of victory. Or I'm sorry, with 15 of those races with a margin of victory less than one second. The average number of race leaders per race is 8.90, which is the most for the opening 30 races since 2014 when it was 9.63. Similarly, the average number of lead changes, which is at 17.17 per race, is the highest through 30 races since the 2015 season when it was 17.53. Green flag passes for the lead are up 38.3% from last season with gains in 20 of the 30 races. Seven races have set green flag passes for the lead records those include the first trip to Las Vegas, Bristol on the first trip, Kansas the first time round, Chicago, Kentucky, Indianapolis, and the Charlotte Roval. And in addition, total green flag passes overall are up 23.8% over last season, and 17 of the 30 races to date have seen increase compared to last season. The number of green flag passes for the lead is at up 14.8% 
in the four playoff races so far this season. So all good numbers that we like to see as the competition on track gets ever more competitive. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about the best of the rest uh, because among those drivers that were just eliminated from playoff contention or among those that did not qualify for the championship this year, there has been some significant movement in the standings. Uh, let's start with Stuart Haas Racing driver Eric Almarola. He's actually the defending winner this week at Talladega and is tops among the playoff drivers who did not advance to this round of 12. Right now he's ranked 13th. He's 16 points up on Ross Fenway Racing's Ryan Newman. Now, Chip Ganassi Racing driver Kurt Busch is a single point behind Newman, and Joe Gibbs Racing's driver Eric Jones is ranked 16th. He's 64 points behind Almarola after suffering four finishes at 36 or worse in the last five races. I felt so bad for Eric Al- or for um, Eric Jones. Uh, better things are ahead for him, I'm sure. For the first time. In his seven-championship career, Jimmy Johnson did not qualify for the playoffs this year. Uh, but as you'd expect, uh, he, with having 83 race wins, it hasn't meant that he's not still working hard. In fact, Johnson and his eighth-place finish last week officially moved him into 17th in the series point standings, overtaking Daniel Suarez by 10 points for that top position among those who did not make the playoffs. Now, Johnson hasn't finished worse than 11th in the four playoff races, and right now he's one of only four multi-time Talladega winners with victories in 2006 and 2011. So uh, these drivers could be spoilers this weekend. Well, they most certainly could be. Uh, one that's uh, looking to be a spoiler, though, as he hasn't looked great as of late, looking to bounce back to victory lane, is Kyle Busch. Now, he began the 2019 season tying a record mark for consecutive top tens with 11 to open the calendar, then reeled off four wins back-to-back at Phoenix and Fontana, California, and then again at Bristol and Pocono on the first trips there. The driver of the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota won the regular season championship and began the playoffs with a sizable points cushion should he need it. Now, four races into the playoffs, however, the 2015 series champion hasn't won a race since June at Pocono, while all three of his JGR teammates have hosted trophies since. He's had two top tens and two finishes of 19th or worse in these playoffs. He was runner-up to his teammate Martin Truex Jr. at Richmond, only to have a mechanical issue leaving 37th at the Charlotte Roval a week later. And he finished 6th at Dover, Delaware, despite qualifying the farthest back at 18th among the 12 playoff drivers. So right now he's currently 3rd in the standings, again behind JGR teammates Truex and Denny Hamlin, but a hefty 52 points above the playoff cutoff that will set the next round of the postseason following next week's race at Kansas. And Bush is one of the nine former Talladega winners in the field this weekend, his victory celebration coming in May of 2008, 11 seasons ago. He has six top fives and eight top, fin- top, eight top ten finishes and 28 starts, an average finish of 20.3, and that's 19th best in the Sunday's field. 
Uh, good news there is he was 10th at the Talladega race earlier this May, but 26 in the 2018th playoff race here. So, again, Talladega's a wild card. We know it takes skill, but a little bit of luck doesn't hurt. Well, and if you look at uh, the teams that have had the most recent success, you got to look at Team Penske. Uh, in particular, in their most recent years, uh, the Ford Power has been consistently the class of the field at Talladega. Ford drivers have won seven of the last eight Talladega races and swept the three seasons from 2016 to 18. Now, Ford has won at least one Talladega race in each of the last five years. Now, six of the last ten checkered flags have gone to Team Penske, uh, and that includes drivers Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. Now, Keselowski's five-trophy haul is the most in the field, while Logano has three trophies and is second only to his teammate. Uh, Logano has an 89.8 driver's rating, which is third best. Teammate Kozlowski has an 89.0 driver rating, while Ryan Blaney is at 86.7. Now, uh, those are the fourth and fifth best uh, driver ratings. Now, Logano endured a very uncharacteristic race. Uh, I think most would agree with that. Last week at Talladega, in his number two for Team Pinsky, had a mechanical problem on the parade lap. And after challenging for the regular season championship, he is right now tied with William Byron in points, but he's on the, on the bottom side of the points standings in ninth place, one spot outside the cutoff line. And based on the tiebreaker, only the top-ranked eight drivers will remain playoff eligible after this week's race at Kansas – after next week's race at Kansas Speedway. Now, at Talladega Super Speedway, however, it could be the perfect place for Logano because he scored top five finishes in six of his last eight races, including three wins. Now, he was fifth in the race here uh, in October of 2018 last year. He was fourth here last May. He's led laps in seven of the previous eight races. In fact, 81.5% of his career total laps uh, can't, were led, total laps led, were here at Talladega. I'm getting tongue-tied. I'm just getting late in the night, Jay. Keselowski I've been doing that, too. <laughs> Keselowski has had a similarly positive relationship with Talladega. He scored his first career Cup Series win in the first series start at the track. That was in May of 2009. He led laps in the last seven Talladega races, but his last top 10 uh, was back in 2017 in the October race. His last victory there was at that time. Now, a three-race winner in 2019, Kozlowski earned top 10 finishes in the opening three playoff races and was 11th at Dover just last weekend. As with his teammate Logano, Blaney's had a rough outing at Dover. He had a very rough outing at Dover. In his number 12, Team Penske 4, he, he suffered a suspension problem, and he had to retire early and ended up with a 35th place finish. And after a strong playoff start, he's had top 10 finishes in two of the last four races. 
Blaney right now is ranked 12th. He's 22 points behind Byron in the 8th position. He's not had the same good fortune at Talladega as his two teammates. However, he would love to change that uh, going into Talladega this weekend. He has two top 10 finishes in 10 starts there, along with three DNFs. He was 15th this past May. He was 28th. Or I'm sorry, 29th in last October's playoff race. Comfort in this round may be the best found at Kansas Speedway next week, where Blaney has five top ten finishes and nine starts. He finished seventh in the 2018 playoff race there, and he also led nine laps. But uh, you, you, got, you can't overlook the duo of Keselowski and Logano when you talk about uh, Talladega. Most certainly not, and one you can't look over either looking for some Talladega redemption, and that'll be Chase Elliott. Now, he couldn't be more motivated to match his May victory there at Talladega Super Speedway. The second-generation NASCAR star boasts the top driver rating of 93.4 and best average running position at 10.745 into Sunday's race. And after an uncharacteristic DNF at Dover last week, Good vibes, and good vibes and good results are exactly what he needs. Elliott is ranked 11th of the 12 remaining championship-eligible drivers after a 38th-place finish at Dover and is now seven points behind Hendrick Motorsports teammate William Byron in that eighth-place cutoff position with these two races remaining in the playoff round. Obviously, the disappointing effort has created a situation for Elliott that forces the number nine Hendrick Motorsports team to rally. The encouraging news is that typically when they have needed to overcome adversity, Elliott and his team have. Nine times in his five-year full-time career, Elliott has answered a sub-30th place finish with a top 10 in the next race. Twice, he's won a race right after that subpar outing, including this season when he finished 28th at Pocono, Pennsylvania, and won the next weekend at Watkins Glen, New York. Now, on the season, Elliott has earned three wins, 10 top fives, and 13 top 10 finishes. With six races remaining, Elliott has already tied his single-season best victory tally and is only two top fives shy of his career-best mark set in 2017. Again, he has a win this year already at Talladega, three top fives, finishes, and a pole in seven previous starts at the big track. And he is the defending winner of next week's race at Kansas Speedway, where he has three top five finishes and seven starts, all coming in the last four races. So things a little bleak following Dover, but you take the positive and look at what's coming ahead. Exactly, and that's true for uh, the championship points leader as well, and that's Martin Truex Jr., uh, who races for Joe Gibbs Racing. Now, so far, it, 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 it could be, end up being a mixed bag here for, for Truex, and it might be good that he's had a good start to the playoffs because so far uh, he's turning in a championship run for the ages. In four races, he has two victories and a runner-up finish uh, so far as he leads the point standings heading into Talladega this weekend. Now, the 2017 Uh, champion leads all drivers with six victories so far this season he also has 13 top five and 19 top 10 finishes and an average finish of 10.1 
Right now he owes a 15-point advantage over his teammate, Denny Hamlin, in the playoff standings, and he leads the series in average finish uh, with an incredible 2.75 in the first four playoff events. But all of those are good stats, but it's probably especially necessary for Truex as he heads to Talladega Super Speedway because that venue has been a challenge for Truex, historically speaking. In 29 Cup Series starts at Talladega, Truex has more DNFs, 13, than top 10 finishes, 8. He has only a pair of top 5 results both fifth-place finishes in 2006 and 15. His average finish at Talladega is 21.3. That's 25th best among this week's starting field. He started and finished 20th in the May race, his first top 20 finish since May of 2016. He was 23rd in October, uh, the playoff race, last year. Now, Truex does actually have a bit of positive racing history at Talladega, despite his his struggle in the Monster Energy Cup Series. He does have two Xfinity Series race victories, one each in his 2004 and 2005 championship years. So uh, it's going to be... Uh, good that Martin Truex had a good run in the first four races because this fifth race could end up being a challenge for him. Well, and we've seen this in the past, uh, and I think of that uh, drivers like Jimmy Johnson and Tony Stewart, a uh, little bit of that summer, and I, I don't want to say slump, but certainly not the level to which they've been performing early in the year. Everybody looks at them like maybe they're not going to make it, and they come into the playoffs and just open it up, and I think that's what we've seen out of Cole Pern and Martin Truex with this number 19 so far in these playoffs. Right, and this is just one race. We'll see what he does and if he's able to kind of turn the ship, if you will, uh, with regard to his stats there at Talladega. Uh, We are now at the top of the hour, Jay, (laughs) and uh, uh, we made it through our preview uh, portion of the show in the first 90 minutes here. Now we'll talk about all the hot topics. Uh, heading into this weekend of racing. Joining us shortly, I believe, will be our co-host, Andy Lasky. Uh, Andy sometimes comes in straight from work, so we might need to give him a couple of minutes to kind of get settled. Uh, But uh, let's start off with the news in the ARCA Racing Series. Uh, We'll go ahead and start there, I guess. Uh, We talked about it a little bit earlier today, Uh, the 20 races uh, and the venues for those 20 races in the Arkham Menard Series, as well as the 10-race showdown in the Arca Series. Uh, Let's uh, get your thoughts about that news today. Uh, You know, I don't even know where to start. I like the fact, again, of how this is set up as a whole, especially on paper, uh, we see some road courses put in there to the uh, Arkham Menard series. Um, the one thing that popped off to me, and I know when we talked about it the other night, we talked about the good aspect of it, the Arkham Menard series returning to Memphis International Raceway. But with that and looking through it a little bit closer today, it's when something comes in, it's what goes out. And that's Five Flags Speedway at Pensacola. I, I hadn't realized mm-hmm. that that came off the schedule. And having attended that race earlier this season and covering it here for Fan for Racing, I am a little disappointed with that. Uh, great facility, and I know 
talked to both track officials as well as the Arkham and Ard series, and they thought that was the start of a good long-term relationship. So uh, it's unfortunate uh, that that one had to come off the schedule. Yeah, what I'm kind of anticipating, and I could very well be wrong about this, uh, is that what we're seeing this year uh, may or may not be what we see next year on this schedule. Uh, We'll have to kind of wait and see how that plays out. Uh, But another addition to the schedule uh, for this year is a road course race uh, in May. They're going to be racing at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course uh, for the first time since 19, was it 65 or 69? Uh, it's been a while since the Arkham and Art Series has raced there, and uh, I'm glad to see them returning and including a road course on the schedule. And again, and that is one thing I most certainly uh, do like is that addition of the road course. So, uh, like I said, a lot of positive things or a couple of uh, negative things, and um, I know you mentioned it of, of this year, how the schedule came out, and obviously we're not at the level where we would be involved in that. But I know it's been talked about before of possibly schedules doing a rotating thing. So, you know, if Memphis is on this year, maybe Five Flags is next year, uh, and they do that kind of rotation, being that they can't get them all in in one year of alternating from year to year. So we'll have to wait and see how that comes about in the following year. But, uh, again, I have faith in NASCAR leadership. They looked at it as a, as a whole and what they needed at least to start with for a package on this schedule. All right. Uh, some of the highlights uh, that we should probably feature here, too, is that Salem Speedway uh, in April uh, will be the 107th trip to that track for the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, it's also been their annual throwback race, so uh, it'll be interesting to see that. Uh, they were doing it over the uh, Labor Day weekend, I believe, and I don't believe they're going to be at Salem uh, over Labor Day this year. This year they'll be at the DuCoin State Fairgrounds during that weekend, so that's interesting. Also, uh, we mentioned the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, uh, Friday, May 29th. Uh, since 1965, it is uh, since they've been there. Uh, they'll also be racing at Watkins Glen International in upstate New York uh, in August as part of the ARCA Showdown. Uh, so we'll actually see two road course races on the schedule for that ARCA series. Uh, also, in addition to Daytona and Phoenix, Uh, The Menard Series will be part of the Monster Energy Cup Series weekends at Talladega, at Charlotte, at Michigan, at Chicagoland, at Pocono, at Bristol Motor Speedway. So several tracks, uh, they're going to be companion races with that Monster Energy Cup Series. Uh, They'll also be at the Brickyard uh, 400 weekend at Indianapolis. They won't be racing at Indianapolis. They'll be racing at Lucas Oil Raceway, uh, which isn't too far away from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That'll take place over the July 4th weekend. Um, A pair of upper Midwest short tracks include Minnesota's Elko Speedway. That's the shortest venue on the schedule. And then also the half-mile track at Madison International Raceway uh, on the schedule there. Uh, They are going to book in ARCA Showdown events at Iowa Speedway, at uh, the WWT Raceway at Gateway. So, and also they're keeping 
the two dirt track races at the Illinois State uh, Fairgrounds and also at the Tacoin State Fairgrounds here in Illinois. So happy to see that happening. And and that is something a couple of them you mentioned there with uh, starting with the Salem Speedway, 107th trip to the .55 mile oval there in Indiana. You know, uh, just like with the Daytona 500 or the Coca-Cola 600, which used to be the World 600, keeping that tradition. I mean, they they didn't go completely away from what was the Arkham Menard mm-hmm. Series. You still got to hold on to that tradition in, in races like that. So I definitely like that. Uh, a couple of pairings, as you mentioned, with the Monster Energy Cup Series, those always to provide for some good uh, race weekends, a couple of drivers that we may not normally see in the Arkham Menard Series, as well as a package deal then for the fans that they get to see that. And I know Chicagoland Speedway, we were up there for, for four days and got to see four races. So uh, I like those type of uh, events where you can get a package deal for the entire weekend. Yes, yes. Uh, along that same line, one of the things that I've always looked forward to in the Canon Pro Series are the combination events uh, that take place at uh, – uh, Iowa Speedway and, and uh, WWT Raceway at Gateway uh, the last couple of years. Uh, that seems to be missing uh, from the schedule. Uh, that's a little bit disappointing for me. However, uh, when I look at it, there's also the possibility uh, that uh, those all of those series will combine during this ARCA showdown schedule. Now, drivers can choose to participate in the showdown schedule in the Arkham Menard series, but they don't have to. So it is an opportunity to get some of the best drivers from both the Arkham Menard series east and west uh, to come together during this showdown schedule. Uh, the 10 races from March 6th starting at ISM Raceway through Saturday, September 26th at Memphis International Raceway uh, with several with 10 races in total included on that list. So uh, maybe we don't have two combination <laughs> events. It might end up being three co- or 10 combination events here, uh, depending on how many drivers choose to participate. And that that and is a little drivers? bit of an un, and and that will uh, you know is a little bit of an unknown, like you said. Those showdown races are, are not part of their regular points championship, but I think you will see those top teams uh, at the very minimum be a part of that. So, and Iowa, both Iowa and Gateway, the two you mentioned there that have been the previous um, head-to-head ones, are part of that 10-race showdown. So I think you will see a lot of them. Uh, I hope so anyway. Uh, and like you said, it actually opens up the opportunity where should a lot of the teams participate from both the East and the West, we could actually see 10 events where they go head-to-head as well as your top Park Menards regular point uh, yeah. drivers. Yeah, that's that's going to make it, I think, pretty interesting. Now, joining us now is our co-host, Andy Lasky. Andy, I don't know if you've been listening, but we've been talking about the Arkham and Art Series news uh, with the 20 races in 20 tracks for the 2020 season. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually haven't seen the schedule yet. I know that just came out today. Um, but I think what I'm most interested to see for next year 
would be the um, the integration between the existing K&N series and what was the Arthur Menard series from this year. So, um, you know, th- that's, I think, what I'm most interested to see is the consolidation, if you will, you know, amongst the series. Um, but I think that uh, it can only strengthen, you know, the two divisions from what we've seen. So I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's going to be fun. I, I think that you probably talked about it that on a, on a previous show, I would imagine, uh, when they announced mm-hmm. that news a week or two ago. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think that that only strengthens, um, I hate to even call it grassroots racing because it's really, um, you know, really more, more national, uh, racing, I think for, for NASCAR and, and for stock car racing. But I think that it, you know, by combining those series, it really only strengthens it, um, you know, and makes it it makes it better. So I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what's a what the combined series looks like for next year. I think it's going to be a lot of fun overall. Yeah, I agree, uh, Andy. And and yeah, we did t- kind of talk about this before. The Canon East uh, will now be known as the Arkham Menards East. The Canon West is the Arkham Menards West. And the, what they've done is they've taken regional racing. And it's becoming now more of a national venue uh, under the umbrella of the Arkham Menard series. Uh, and we were just talking about how the showdown, the Tin Race showdown, uh, has the potential to be kind of a head-to-head-to-head, if you will, between Arkham Menards East and West, along with the Arkham Menard series, which was primarily Midwestern, uh, is now branching out beyond the Midwest with their 20 race schedule and the uh, showdown brings together all three of those series to compete for uh, the 10 race championship in that showdown. The um, uh, they've added a couple of road courses on the schedule. So mid Ohio is going to be on that schedule uh, as well as Watkins Glen international is going to be on the Arkham and art schedule. Uh, and it's going to bring the, the East and the West kind of together um, uh, through the Arkham Menard series as well and give them a lot more experience, I think, uh, to help them develop and grow uh, to that next level of racing, which is going to be uh, probably the Gander Outdoor Truck Series or the Xfinity Series. So uh, on paper, it all looks really good. I'm anxious to see how it all plays out next season. Jay, do you have anything else to add there? Well, again, it, we'll have to wait and see once the individual uh, East and West portion schedules are released. Just thinking about something there and talking about Five Flags Speedway, um, it's possible then that maybe that, that that ends up on the Arca Menards East schedule versus the actual main Arca schedule. So oh, that's, that's a possibility. Uh, you know, again, it's one of those that just popped into my head. I, I have no knowledge of it or whatever, but just knowing right. that, you know what that what they had planned with at that track when I talked to them earlier I'm thinking that might be a possibility that some of these tracks that made that kind of deal uh and like I said maybe they'll swap them from year to year we'll have to wait and see as the east and west schedules although reduced uh again Memphis was one that was on the east schedule is now on the main arc of an art schedule maybe that that's how they're spreading it out a little bit more um, to some different venues, but still including those that weren't included on that 20-race schedule. Right. Now, Andy, if you haven't seen it yet, it is up at 
uh, FanForRacing.com. It's also at ArcaRacing.com. And I think we saw it on the NASCAR home tracks as well. So yeah, it was there as well, yes. Yes. So uh, you can take a look at that. Did you have any other uh, feedback that you wanted to give or thoughts? Well, I will say that, you know, I certainly will take a look at, at the schedule. And, you know, I'm interested to see what it looks like because certainly the more diverse it is, uh, that makes it more challenging. And, and like you said, it makes it makes drivers more prepared to take that next step in racing, which would be, you know, ideally the truck series. And so uh, certainly the more diverse, the more challenging it is, the better for them. And, um, you know, I think that only strengthens, you know, the ARCA series and it only strengthens, you know, our, our um, regional touring series, you know, it in um, in hopes of preparing drivers, you know, for that next step for, for the top three divisions in NASCAR. So, um, yeah, I'll take a look at that. Certainly looking forward to seeing what that schedule looks like. And I, I think that, you know, overall, this, this combination between the ARCA series and the K&N series and, you know, the, the NASCAR acquisition really only strengthens, I think, those divisions, makes them better, and uh, and ultimately brings talent together, if you think about it, um, you know, in terms of combining K&N and, and ARCA talent. So, uh, it can only, I think, help strengthen, like I said, those regional touring series, and hopefully, um, you know, it'll it'll provide some great uh, content for the fans next year. Yes, indeed. The only thing that I think is a little bit of a yellow flag for me, potentially a red flag, um, is the distance that some of these teams, because a lot of these are smaller regional teams, uh, that I'm wondering if they're going to have the means. Uh, to travel across country to some of these races. So we'll have to kind of see how that plays out as well. Uh, but that's the only yellow flag for me. Do you see any other yellow flags, Jay? No. Um, with with that, I, I know I, when you look at it, when you break down the 10-race uh, showdown, I was kind of looking that, at that. Uh, they, they did expand a little bit to the west. I know they're going out to uh, Phoenix, I believe, is the first one. They are still kind of centralized. As you said, the Arca Menard Series is known as the Midwest Series. Um, so those 10 mm-hmm. are still kind of centrally located, if you will, but they have at least one going out to uh, to Phoenix on the west side and then up as far as Watkins Glen um, to the east. So see how that uh, see how that plays out. But I think overall, again, I think it is going to be a good uh, broadening of, the, of at least the uh, – the Arkham Menard series as a whole. Yes, I agree. I think overall it, it's definitely strengthening uh, the the racing for all of those series, uh, and I think it's it's a win-win-win all the way around. Okay, uh, Andy, what would be your next to- topic that you want to talk about? <clears throat> Well, today uh, officially announced by, by Stuart Haas Racing that Eric Almarola would return uh, with Smithfield as his primary sponsor for the majority of races. Um, that that in itself is not surprising news, I don't think. But I also read a report from one of the one of the gentlemen on Twitter that's uh, responsible for bringing us news and rumors uh, and news updates um, that. 
So I'll just I'll just lump this into Stuart Haas Racing in general that Clint Boyer is expected to return to the 14. They also say that Daniel Suarez is likely to return, but that deal is not done yet, and that Cole Custer is waiting in the wings. So kind of wanted to get both of your thoughts on the outlook for that team for 2020. It seems that the picture is getting a little more clear, but not 100% certain yet. True. Jay, do you want to start? Uh, again, I, I hate to see that if that's the case. I mean, we, we all agree that Cole Custer is ready to step up, and nobody is disputing that. It's just a, such a shame then that somebody like Daniel Suarez may be the one to get pushed out um, if that happens to be the case. My hope would be that they still somehow find a way to partner with an affiliate team, whether it be for Daniel Suarez or Cole Custer, um, to help provide support to whichever driver it may be. And I think that is a good thing for the sport as some of these bigger four-car teams um, help spread that out a little bit. And I know NASCAR is, has the four-car limit, um, but this kind of, I don't want to say circumvents that, but I think as a whole is a good thing for the sport when these top teams do show support to some of the other teams. It opens up some doors for some drivers, a possibility for them to get to showcase. So, We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. As far as Smithfield returning, one of the things that, that I took from that, and they were talked about on, uh, again, either NASCAR Race Hub or I think it was NASCAR Race Hub today, is the fact that the number of races that they are coming on board for. And with the way NASCAR is making cost-cutting moves for these teams, that sponsorship dollar goes a lot further then. And we may see it kind of head back towards the way it was of one sponsor covering a team for the year versus these five or 10 race deals. And you have seven or eight primary sponsors throughout the year. So I think that is a good thing uh, as well. Okay. And, and I think it's great to see Eric Amarola getting, uh, you know, a re-upping with uh, Stuart Haas racing and with Smithfield. Uh, I think it's great that they're taking on the number of races that they are, uh, that's not an easy thing to accomplish. But I think it's been a good marriage between Eric Almarola and Smithfield, and I think he's done a good job representing that sponsor uh, on and off the track. So I think that's all good. Uh, in fact, I was driving down the highway today, and we came across a Smithfield uh, uh, trailer uh, that was obviously headed to some event, uh, and I thought about Eric Almarola with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that uh, uh, they're getting some really good visibility through NASCAR, and I think it's, it's uh, a really good thing that they're, they're sponsoring Eric Almarola. Um, with regard to Cole Custer and where he might land for 2020, that is such a tough question to answer because uh, it, it's kind of one of those bittersweet things. You want to see Cole Custer move up. Uh, without a doubt, he is so talented. Uh, he's done so well in the Xfinity Series, and I think he's going to do as well in the Cup Series, uh, given the time that he needs to, to make that adjustment. Um, and, and who knows how much that time that's going to be, but I, I think it's going to be uh, really fun to watch him in the Cup Series. Um, 
where that's going to be is is really the big question. And of course, along with the sweet comes the bitter in that somebody else has to uh, take a move that maybe they're not ready for in order to make that happen for Cole Custer. So, um, gosh, I'd hate for it to be Daniel Suarez. I think he's been really good for this sport. Uh, he's got such a big following uh, that he brings with him. Uh, and, Jay, you've been at the track where we've seen, what do they call it, uh, Daniel Suarez's, there's a, a yeah. group of people. As you started saying that, I was like, it was right on the tip of my tongue, and now, yeah, I can't. It's Daniel's Amigos, of course. There we go. Daniel's <laughs> the, Amigos, yeah, the, there you go. There we go. Yes, Daniel's Amigos uh, in the red T-shirts I, we saw at Chicagoland Speedway. Uh, you know, it just brings... Uh, a really different uh, uh, aspect to the the racing and and the support that he's getting uh, as a race car driver in NASCAR, and he's he's bringing in uh, a youth element into NASCAR. So I think he's really good for this sport. I think it would be a shame to lose him in the NASCAR Cup Series. So I'm hoping against all hope that uh, that's not. Uh, what's going to happen for Daniel Suarez. I, if he leaves Stuart Haas Racing, I hope there's another great opportunity for him uh, beyond Stuart Haas Racing where he can continue in this sport because um, uh, I think NASCAR needs him as much as uh, he needs NASCAR. Uh, and uh, I, I think he needs to be given more opportunity. He was brought up very quickly, as we all know, and uh, I know he had some years at uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, I was hoping the move from Joe Gibbs Racing would be a positive thing for him, uh, that he'd flourish in the uh, uh, Stuart Haas Racing. And I think he's had glimpses of doing really great things at Stuart Haas Racing. Um, but missing the playoffs, um, and, and uh, that, that just uh, really, I think, hurts his chances. Unfortunately, uh, as we've been talking about with Rocky Stenhouse Jr. not making the playoffs, and now he's out at Roush Fenway Racing, I'm afraid that that could be what happens for Daniel Suarez. But I'm I'm hoping against all hope that it doesn't. So, Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, first off, Smithfield Bacon, um, you can't really beat it. So, for those <laughs> of you... Sponsor plug time, I suppose. For those of you that, um, you know, want to go get yourself some bacon, go get some Smithfield. It's good. I actually, I don't know that that news of of um, them returning with, with Eric is, is really a shocker. I think that they've built oh, yeah. a really good relationship with Eric, and they've found themselves a really good home at Stuart Haas Racing. Um, I, I think, for me, the shocker was that they, they only just now announced their extension for 2020. I thought that they were both confirmed for next year. That wasn't really a big hot rumor. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it was a big surprise that they're returning. Certainly good for Eric. Eric is a, a, a good personality, a good role model in the sport, you know, and certainly has found himself a good home at one of the best teams in the sport. So, um, you know, they, that's, a, that's a driver that has, made the playoffs in both of his seasons driving for that team. So um, I think that they will continue to build on that relationship. And certainly I think Smithfield is one of the, the more lucrative primary sponsors in the sport at this, at this moment. So um, 
you know, good for him, happy for him, certainly. Um, I find that, um, you know, I, I do find that the rest of that team, you know, the, the 14 and 41 specifically is, um, I, I think that's all still a bit up in the air. You know, it was earlier today that there was, you know, something published, you know, from one of the, the outlets who typically will announce, you know, things ahead of ahead of time, if you will, in terms of, you know, things that are going to happen, you know, with Clint's possible and, and seemingly likely return and, and the 41 being up in the air. I mean, a, a month or two ago, to me, the 14 was probably the most up in the air scenario, um, you know, but what, what people tend to forget though is, is that, you know, Clint has built a relationship with a lot of those sponsors on the car, even though a lot of them were old SHR sponsors, uh, specifically rush truck centers. Um, he's built a pretty good relationship with them. I, I believe what I've seen is that, you know, they've had some say in terms of the future of, of that car, which which is good for Clint. You know, as a veteran driver, we've seen, um, you know, recently veterans getting pushed and pushed out and kicked to the curb, you know, and certainly if he can go at least one more year and, and maybe get to go out on his own terms, you know, I'm a big fan of that, certainly. You know, and maybe maybe he goes one more year, and maybe there is a long-term plan to try to get Cole maybe in that car for 2021. Who knows? Which would would coincide with the new car. You know, so um, it, it's hard to say what the long-term plan is, but certainly, you know, as as happy as I would be to see, you know, a veteran get to get to stay around for at least one more year. You know, certainly itching to see what Cole can do too. Um, I know I told both of both of you, you know, seeing him win his seventh race in person last Saturday, um, he's cup ready. I mean, this is this is by and large his breakout year. He's had a lot of success, um, you know, and what he's been able to do rivals what what Reddick and, and Bell have done, and they're both, you know, confirmed to go into the Cup Series next year. So it would be really cool to see. Cutter get into a good cup car and, and contend with them for rookie of the year next year. And, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be, uh, interesting, you know, to see, to see what they wind up, why they wind up doing with him. Um, but like I said, as much, as much as I want to see the veterans continue and maybe go out on their own terms, I'd really like to see Cole get in there too. So, Hopefully he gets a chance, whether it's SHR or an Alliance team, but I'd really certainly like to see him in a cup car next year. Okay. Real quick, I'm going to do my overtime comments here. Uh, We've got uh, the 1030 time frame coming up here uh, very shortly, uh, probably just a little more than 60 seconds. We're right at 60 seconds. And, uh, that means that we're going to go off the air at the 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. However, we will uh, be able to continue recording the rest of our conversations, and that means uh, you'll be able to hear those comments on our podcast, and the podcast is available via all of the links that we already have posted on social media. Now, um, what I do is when we're finished uh, with our commentary during that overtime segment, I go out on Twitter and let people know that the podcast is now available. Uh, And those people who have listened up to that point 
can fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. If you're listening on the podcast, it's pretty seamless. You'll be able to listen straight through. Again, it is available via all of the links that we already have posted as well as at fanparacing.com. Okay, and with that, <laughs> uh, I just want to see if, Jay, you have any follow-up comments. No, well, we'll have to kind of wait and see what that final final decision is. Right now it's still kind of uh, unclear, so we've got to wait for a little bit more information, I think, for it to clear up. Okay. And uh, I think I'm good. I think you guys all articulated everything very well. And, uh, Jay, let's go ahead and move on to the next talk, the hot topic. All right. Well, I'm going to read, uh, what is it, a little bit of a, on uh, jsky.com there is a full release there as it comes to pertains to International Speedway Corporation and the NASDAQ Global Select Market and that's where it starts getting really technical I'm not going to read all that but uh, to summarize it ISC says that it has a special meeting of the shareholders to be held on October 16th to give final approval to the merger with NASCAR If approved, the deal would be final on October 18th. At that time, NASCAR will be the sole owner of ISC and its tracks and related properties. So we've seen this with uh, SMI, Speedway Motorsports uh, Incorporated, and we knew it was being talked about and probably coming with ISC as well. Now, again, of how that then translates onto decision-making, we, again, don't know for sure, but we feel it's a positive direction without the uh, interest of stakeholders and NASCAR having to act on their behalf versus the best interest of the sport always. So see how it plays out, but that one's uh, soon to be finalized, it appears. Okay, Andy? Yeah, I'm curious. I'm still – I don't have a huge opinion on this. I'd kind of like to see what the end result's going to be in terms of you know the the privatization and the, the these mergers and acquisitions, um, but ultimately it's a good thing I think if it if it strengthens uh, the sport and, and makes things healthy long term. So you know if if that's the goal in mind and that's the intent, then I'm certainly all for that. Um, I, I'm still like I said trying trying to figure out exactly what the impact will be, but. Ultimately, if it makes things better, that's a good thing, and and hopefully that's what we see. Yeah, and that's kind of the unknown. I think, think, uh, well, first, Jay, let me hear. No, you started the comment. Okay, so I'll give my comments. Um, I think it's one of those things I'm kind of in a wait-and-see mode as well because I think that there could be some really great things that come out of this, but I'm, I'm also thinking we might, see some glimpses of some not-so-good things that could come out of this. Uh, I think the overall intent is for NASCAR to be able to make those streamlined decisions uh, and and independent of of, uh, stakeholders, but at the same time, um, are they going to continue to take into consideration, I hope they continue to take into consideration, uh, feedback that they're getting uh, because it's been the most open I think I've seen it in several years uh, with them including feedback from team owners as well as from drivers and the fans uh, I think they've gotten a lot to kind of reach out and get other people's 
thoughts about things before making decisions. Um, and uh, it, it makes me wonder if uh, some of the decisions that they've made under the under the uh, you know being part of the Wall Street uh, is is whether or not that's helped us or hurt us. Uh, I could look at it. An argument could be made both ways, I suppose. Uh, but uh, you got to wonder why they're wanting to do this uh, and what decisions they're wanting to make, uh, independent of the stakeholders. Uh, hopefully, it will be in the best interest of the sport, and uh, we'll get back to the old days of NASCAR and fans uh, filling up the stands, and all will be good. Uh, but uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see how it all plays out. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, as you were talking about that, you're right. I, I see where kind of where you were going. I know they talked about uh, Bill French Sr. with the ruling with an iron fist. Uh, there mm-hmm. is a certain amount to be said for that type of leadership, but I think we've seen that a long term and overall, you're better off with the uh, the open policy and, and taking in multi multiple person not personalities but perspectives to the sport. And I do think NASCAR has done a great job in changing men, that mentality. And I think with that, of the two corporations going to privately held gives them a lot more flexibility when it comes to something like we've seen in the past couple of years, the overall schedule shakeup. You know, we hadn't seen mm-hmm. something like that in so many years. And I think that's one of those, as they tried to do that is what ultimately caused this to uh, kind of come about was maybe the effort it took knowing they had to protect the, the interests and investments of stakeholders, whereas now they don't. So yeah, you hope that they don't go back to the my way or the highway type mentality and still continue to do these productive things as well as, like I said, taking all aspects of the industry as a whole and, and make the best decisions there, which I do believe is their intent. Yeah, I kind of think so as well. Uh, Andy, what are your thoughts? Or any follow-ups um, thoughts that you have there? Yeah, no real follow-up. I, I agree with what you're both saying. You know, I think that ultimately – if these changes are are made to overall improve the strength and, and healthiness of the sport, that's awesome. You know, that's really what it should be about. So, so hopefully that's what we see. You know, and and hopefully this is something we, you know, at least for me personally, that I can learn more about. You know, and, and maybe have more of an opinion on. But uh, you know, at this point, I, I I think that you know, hopefully as long as it it helps the overall. Uh, health of the sport, and, and that's all we can hope for. Okay, and and Jay, I think you're right. I do think that part of a big part of their decision to do this has to do with scheduling the tracks and making potential changes for the future. Because they have talked about uh, changing up that schedule instead of having the same schedule every season, they want to change it up from year to year, and this allows them uh, more autonomy to be able to do that so uh it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for sure okay uh andy did you have any other uh, hot topics that you wanted to talk about i know you missed a couple of nights here and uh there might be some things that you want to talk about even though we may have already talked about it uh we'd still be interested in knowing your thoughts 
Well, specifically, um, as it pertains to this week, Austin Dillon tested a, a new cup car, the 2021 cup car at Richmond, uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe, and I, I kind of wanted to see what your thoughts were on that. I, I did see a, a picture of the car and certainly was encouraged by that. So so what do you think about that? Kind of exciting news for sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, another generation next car. Andy or Jay, your thoughts? Well, I know uh, there wasn't a whole lot of information released about it, but from what I did hear, uh, when you bring out something new, they talk about the, the hiccups or gremlins that pop up that you weren't expecting. It didn't sound like there were a whole lot of those. So everything sounded extremely positive. I know they got into the discussion of whether or not that car, the body on it, was even going to be or how close it was to what will be in 2021. You know, we got 16 months before the final product needs to be finalized. So at this point, that early stage of it, uh, no matter what it is, uh, you know, it's a little early to be jumping up and down, as they say. And I listened to Dave Moody's show today, and he had to kind of quell that of this is the first test. You know, when the final product comes out, it may not even look anything like what was out there today or this mm-hmm. week. So keep that in mind. You know, it's a it's a base starting line. Uh, first time, I believe, and from what I understood, that is the only one at this point. Um, so, again, there's going to be some changes made. But overall, it sounded like they, that they came out of, out of the box even a lot better than what they expected um, in, in times past of when you bring a new product, all the little things that they find that they realize they got to work on. So uh, hopefully that's a, that's a positive just to start the process. Yes, and I I, I think, too, that uh, this is a, a good move that they're making. I, it seems to me like NASCAR is taking their time with putting together this 21 uh, car, and, uh, you know, they, they're – this is just the first of many tests that will be taking place with this car. It was a closed test, so the media was not able to be a part of uh, that testing session that took place at Richmond. Uh, but uh, uh, like Jay said, it, it seems to be good uh, feedback that's coming out from that uh, testing session, including Ty Dillon, or was it Austin Dillon? Austin Dillon, I believe, tested that car and um, uh, the feedback so far seems to be pretty good uh, with what they wanted to accomplish. They they weren't really getting into the nitty-gritty, I don't think, at this point. I think they were looking, you know, just overall what's going to happen when we put this car out on the track and uh, take a look at that and, and take care of it. So I think it's going to be a good thing in 2020. I'm kind of anxious to see uh, the Generation Next car in action and how they've taken the feedback from the drivers and what's happening with the current car that they're driving, uh, what kind of changes they make in order to to make a better racing product on the track for fans. So it should be fun. Andy? I, I, I'm really encouraged, you know, by what I saw, I, I feel like, and I realized that, that the car, like you both said, the car that we saw on the track is, is maybe different than what we may see in a couple of years. But, um, you know, and it's important to note that the car that they tested was not specific to any one manufacturer. It was a generic body on the race car, mainly just trying to test 
the uh, the general parameters of the car. Um, but what I what I feel like I saw, despite the fact that it was a generic car, to me it looked more like a car than what we've seen, you know, really forever, you know, in NASCAR racing. It looked to me a lot a lot more like what you might see on the street. So um, I'm encouraged. I feel like that what we may see with with the specific manufacturers um, in, in the next year or so um, for 2021 is going to be far more in line with what we see on the on you know between the racetrack and the street. It's going to be much closer. So that that to me is important. That to me is exciting. If we can get our you know our on track brand to be very closely in line with with the showroom. That that to me is a bit of a throwback of sorts to to racing of you know of a long time ago. So um, I think that I think they're headed in a really good direction with this race car. Obviously, there's a lot that remains to be seen with it, but uh, to me, it, it certainly is an exciting time, and and certainly I think a, a big step in the right direction um, with with the race car of the future. So I'm excited to see this this car more I'm, I'm excited to see what the uh, manufacturer specific cars look like i'm sure we'll have a much better idea this time next year um but i'm, I'm looking forward to it i think that i think that this is certainly the, the right direction um you know obviously the cars of today are they're they're not bad they're not too far off the mark but certainly um you know if they can produce something that's more in line with what really runs on the road that that's awesome that's cool and you know, I, I think I was most intrigued by by the wheels. Um, those, you know, those things are far. You know, I know those are probably you know test test only and maybe not what we'll see. But those things look far more like what you'd see on a street car than we've seen forever. You know, in in, in auto racing. So that was kind of cool. You know, and and maybe you know that's what um, the ultimate product will be similar to that. So that was, that was kind of neat, I thought. So certainly a step in the right direction and looking forward to seeing more development of this car in the future. Yeah, me too. Uh, Jay, any follow-ups on your end? Well, going based off of what information Dave Moody had uh, with that, the one thing that uh, he said was probably going to be the closest to the final product would be the wheels because they have announced that they will be going to that 18-inch wheel now. Um, and, and the ultimate goal of this, from both the fans' perspective as well as the manufacturers, is that brand identity that Andy talked about of that car looking like what you're driving out on the, on the road. So that certainly mm-hmm. has been a big part of what's driving this. Now NASCAR wants to still go to, you know, they don't want to go back to, and it was when I first started watching racing, um, back in, in the 90s, where each week, you know, Chevy saying, hey, we're at a disadvantage here. You know, we need a uh, lower nose piece than the Ford or more inches on the spoiler. They want to find that compromise where they can still keep it to where from the competition side of it, they don't have to play that game every week, but allow the brands to have some identity to where, again, they are different uh, machines and match what is out on the road. So, you know, I think they're working very diligently on finding that balance. Okay, yeah, I would agree. Um, And uh, I I do think uh, that you guys bring up some really good points. Uh, They do want to make this look more like the streetcar, Andy, and uh, I think you should be encouraged by that. 
in in the car that you saw. Uh, and I think they are making efforts to make them unique um, while also trying to keep them within certain specs to not give a competitive advantage to one manufacturer over another. And and I think they're taking the time to do that the right way, and, and I'm encouraged by that. Uh, I think that's probably the best part of this whole thing is I like that they're taking their time on this one and uh, it's not being rushed out there. Uh, for the drivers to to race it right away, um, and and I think that's going to be a better product when it's all said and done. So that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Yeah, you know. Um, go ahead, Jay, Andy. I I think to me one of the more intriguing aspects of this car too is that I believe it will be an all spec car. Uh, in terms of teams will be purchasing components mm-hmm. from from vendors versus building them on their own. So it'll be more in line, I think, of of like what we've started to see in the truck series in the Xfinity series. So, um, you know, I'm also intrigued by the cost-cutting measures that are implemented with this car as well. So it, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. And, you know, I hate to say that I – I want to skip over next year. Obviously, there's a lot of racing and a lot of storylines for 2020, but certainly this race car has me excited for two years from now. It's going to be a lot of fun to see that rolled out. Yeah, I I agree with you, Andy. Uh, One other little bit of news here that I want to bring up uh, is that it was announced today, Wood Brothers came out with an announcement today, uh, indicating that uh, Matt Crafton, is going to be on standby for Paul Menard for Sunday's uh, Cup Series event at Talladega. Crafton uh, is spending time, he will spend time practicing the number 21 Menards uh, car this Friday to get acclimated to the car. Uh, and all of this is because Menard, who is the regular driver of that uh, number 21, has had kind of had some problems with uh, soreness and pain in his neck. Uh, so he plans to do some practice and qualifying to start, and he wants to start Sunday's race. So Matt Crafton is on standby just in case he's unable to get in that car and uh, do everything that he wants to do. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm kind of sad to hear that he is having some neck issues, and I think it's a result. If you remember a few weeks ago, he kind of had a, a nasty spin-out, uh, on the track, and I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. Andy? Yeah, no, I I think the first part, you know, of this would, would certainly be, you know, thoughts with Paul Menard. You know, I, I hated to see that as well in terms of his neck pain, and hopefully that's not something serious and, and that he can get better from that sooner than later. Um, you know, certainly – given the fact that he will retire from full-time competition after this year, we'd like to see him go out on a good note. Um, but certainly um, as a veteran driver of the sport, if, if you know, if Matt Crafton is, is called upon to, to jump in that car for the for any portion of the race, I, I think he'll do a good job. He, he's a veteran that's obviously, you know, had a lot of success in the truck series. And, um, you know, I think that could potentially be a, a neat opportunity for him to get into a good cup card and showcase what he could do. Um, so, but, but, but first and foremost, obviously, 
Um, you want to see Paul healthy and, and hopefully whatever it is isn't serious. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts because uh, one thought kind of crossed my mind when I first read this news, and I've got a feeling that same thought probably crossed your mind. <laughs> well, uh, the big, the biggest thing in it is, and I don't know, it doesn't talk in depth with how long he's been battling these neck, neck issues, um, if that's part of his decision to retire. But I will tell you this, and we've seen it in the past. Uh, I believe Dale Earnhardt Jr. was one also. Not that anything can't happen on any given track, but Talladega especially, even if there were no accidents, just the amount of uh, intensity that that one puts on the body with the G-forces and and the speeds that they go. So, like I said, even if it were an absolutely clean race, the amount that one, that track puts on your body. Um, And and there again, then, like I said, not that anything can't happen on any track, but we know Talladega involves the big one nine out of ten times, and you're just putting yourself at a bigger risk. Okay, like I said, I believe that was one that Junior opted to sit out while he was battling concussion. Even while they said he was cleared to come back, that's one that that track, for that reason, he opted to still sit out. So, um, you know, again, you got to respect the driver doing what's best for him, his future. Uh, as well as the team. Uh, again, if you can't give 100%, you know that, you know, talking to the team and being open about it, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm glad to see him, uh, you know, coming up with a backup plan just in case. Uh, it's not easy, especially the length of these races, to be in these cars. And uh, like you say, anything can happen at Talladega. But one of the thoughts that kind of went through my mind and I, I think I, I know why it didn't happen. It's probably a logistical nightmare. But uh, one of the thoughts I had is I wonder why they didn't get Matt DiBenedetto uh, to kind of stand, be the standby guy for that number 21 car and then get somebody else to go into the 95 uh, to drive the 95 this week. Um, uh, I, I think it would have been kind of cool to see Matt DiBenedetto in that car. Andy? Yeah, you know, it certainly would have been. I just think that, you know, Matt's contract this year is specifically to drive the 95 car and to drive for Toyota. So, you know, I I can only imagine that it would be difficult to get out of that um, and try to get into his new deal. Um, like you said, it would have been kind of neat to see that, but, you know, given contracts and all that stuff, I'm sure that the earliest opportunity will probably be next year. But I I see where you're coming from on that. Um, You know, I I am a little surprised necessarily, you know, by by Crafton doing it, you know, but but at the same time, I think that um, some of Ford's development guys are off doing other things this weekend. So, um, but he he's a great candidate. You know, he's a veteran driver with a lot of success in the truck series. And I think that, you know, him jumping in there, um, you know, he can do a really good job. So, you know, definitely a smart move. And certainly someone that has represented the Menards brand, you know, for a long time. So, you know, he'll 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 do well if if he if in fact he's called upon to, to get in that car. Okay, Jay, any follow up? 
Yeah, when when we've seen that in the past, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If if drivers are making a change the following year, here in these final few races, you see them swap teams early, if you will. Um, the fact that it's a, a possibility of whether or not for sure he even steps out, you can't ask Matt DiBenedetto to come over and be on standby and, and possibly not get to run the race at all, especially as it pertains to what the Levine family racing has, has developed and built for this year. You know, obviously then that would say open up the door for Christopher Bell. And again, I don't know if he's ready to get a start at Talladega in the cup series. You know, he's got limited starts mm-hmm. already in the, in the Xfinity. So, you know, now you're talking about that team being put in a little bit of a jam. Um, so I, I'm sure it's something that maybe was talked about or considered, but like I said, in years past, it seems like we haven't seen that as much as we used to. Uh, it used to be when, two drivers were announced that they were switching teams or, you know, moving that it happened in these final few races. I, we don't see that as much anymore. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I, I thought it would be kind of cool. I knew it would be a logistical nightmare for them to do it for all the reasons uh, that you guys articulated very well. But uh, at the same time, I thought it would be kind of a cool thing to have seen because as you said, Jay, and and Andy too, uh, we have kind of seen that happen in the past, uh, where they've kind of come to an agreement and said, "Yeah, go ahead and and do that." And this seemed like a prime opportunity for that to happen. Uh, but I think probably the biggest obstacle is the one you brought up, Jay. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Andy, with the uh, Ford and uh, Toyota. Uh, you know, that's kind of a tough one, <laughs> especially this time of year. Uh, to overcome for those types of situations. Um, but, yeah, I just thought it would be kind of cool to have had seen that happen and, and maybe Christopher Bell kind of being the guy that stands by in that 95 in case uh, Matt has to go over to, um, you know, the 21. But, uh, you know, that was a pipe dream on my end. <laughs> Jay, what's what's your next topic? Well, I know we only got a couple minutes left here. It was kind of the hot topic on the radio today. Uh, Talladega being the wild card. Right now, we got two mm-hmm. expected to be favorites going into the into the final four of the championship, or at least deep into the into the next round of the playoffs. And Joey Logano and Chase Elliott. Do they get back in it? And if so, always if somebody's in, who's out? <laughs> <laughs> Andy, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, I'm actually those are those are two guys really that that surprised me. I, I I didn't expect them to be in the position that they're in, and and certainly both of them are very successful on the super speedways and can dig themselves out of a hole. But just as easily as you can dig yourself out of a hole at Talladega, you can get yourself in one. So. Uh, unfortunately, nobody's really safe here unless you're unless you're somebody like Larson or somebody that's really you know up there in the points uh, that can kind of just coast through the weekend and you know ride in the back and stay out of trouble. Uh, you know, someone made the point. You know, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. If you're a guy that you're on the bubble and you need points, you're forced. To, to try to go up there and race and get stage points. And, you know, if there's a lot of aggressive racing near the front, that's when we could see some issues, you know. So 
Uh, if you're a bubble driver, uh, this is not the scenario you want to be in going into Talladega <laughs> this weekend, certainly. Uh, but, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of it is it provides a lot of entertainment for us, the fans, and I think that it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. Um, Jay, I don't I don't know who's going to be in or out. I, I really I, I think we'll have a pretty good picture maybe by the end of this race on Sunday, but right now it's just so hard to say um, because – you know, someone you think is in could easily be knocked out, and someone that's on the outside looking in, like you mentioned, such as Chase Elliott or Joey Logano, could easily go out there and get that win on Sunday. So, um, a lot, unfortunately, a lot remains to be seen, and it's just a, you know, a lot of details I think to be figured out. And when the dust settles and the record settles on Sunday, we'll, we'll have a good idea. I agree. It's so hard to predict uh, when you're talking about Talladega, what's going to happen. But I think for Joey Logano, uh, to to quote him, he said they've used up their mulligan, and they have. He's in a I've-got-to-perform-in-these-next-two-race scenario, uh, and Talladega couldn't come at a better time for Joey Logano when you look at his stats there, statistically speaking. Uh, I think, you know, he's got a good chance of kind of pulling it out uh, at Talladega. Uh, both the Penske teams are very good at Talladega in the more, in the more recent years. So uh, this has got to be a good track on the schedule for, for Joy Logano after what happened uh, last week at Dover with that axle. But they cannot afford, they have really got to cross all their T's and dot all their I's. They can't afford for that to happen again. Uh, and unfortunately, Talladega is one of those tracks where you can get caught up in somebody else's mess uh, real easily. Uh, but I think, you know, Joy Logano, one of the reasons he's so good at that track is that he is an aggressive driver, and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks uh, about it. And I would expect that he's going to be that way this week at Talladega. And uh, that that can go one of two ways. <laughs> it's either going to be really good for him and he's going to get a good result, or it's going to go really bad for him and he's going to end up with two in a row uh, that could hurt his championship chances. And you just can't predict Talladega what's going to happen. So um, you're right, we'll have a better idea after this race at Talladega on, on who sits where and what their best chances are. Uh, but Andy, I'm curious to know, or is it Jay, who brought that topic up? I, I did. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I feel really good about Logano and Elliott, uh, both of them at least being upfront contenders. But then I can't answer the follow-up question of if they go in and move up, who moves out? Um, <laughs> you know, I look at it. You know, yeah. William Byron, and I've said this all year. They run good. I haven't seen them close races as strong as they need to. Uh, and then Alex Bowman, which again, like I said, to start the, the playoffs, he was kind of the one everybody had picked of not making it to that next round. And he showed that to be wrong and he's got a runner up finish there. So I think overall, I think that points battle is going to get extremely tight. And then you look at the other two that are there um, of trying to move up Clint Boyer and Ale- Eric Almarola. Eric Almarola, defending winner from last year, and Clint Boyer, again, in the Ford. We know that especially the Stuart Haas Fords, just Ford in particular, are strong at these 
whatever uh, they're not restrictor plates anymore, tapered space or super speedway racing. So, like I said, the more I thought about it, I was like, even if they do do good but don't get the win that locks them in, I think that points battle going into Kansas is going to be very, very marginally thin between all of these drivers that are on that bubble. Well, Which Jay, only just, means that... it's going to be that much more intense, right, Andy? I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, hey, Jay, with with Alex Bowman, I think that he's doing well because he was refreshed by that Gatorade shower he got at Charlotte, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> I think so, yes. We've seen some great championship toasts in the past. How would it be if Alex Bowman were to win the championship and be like, I owe it all to Bubba, Bubba Wallace. You know, just that splash in the face really got me going. <laughs> that would be such but a good marketing ploy. Someone needs to get on that. <laughs> oh, too funny. Okay, we are uh, past our top of the hour mark here. Uh, so I guess we're going to have to end it there. Uh, real quick, if we can do the roundtable, uh, we'll go ahead and close the show, the show out. All uh, right, Jay, um, you want to start? Or Andy? <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Go ahead. Um, for, me, for me on Twitter, alasky 14 and uh, certainly looking forward to, for one thing, seeing the truck series back in action this weekend. That'll be fun. And, uh, you know, all the racing at Talladega, it's going to be a good one, and uh, certainly looking forward to getting back here and talking about it on Monday. Jay? All right. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And Sharon and Andy, I hope you two are both sitting down. I do plan on being at a track this weekend. I don't know for sure yet of when and where. No, you got to stay sitting, though. I'm going to, no matter what track it is, to just sit and watch a race. I'm not working anywhere this weekend. I'm going to just sit and watch a race. Okay. Awesome. So just, yeah. Uh, it might possibly be at Caledega. The dirt track is running there. The Hornets nest will be in action this say, weekend. That's the most logical well, one, Jay. You know, uh, there's a couple others. Uh, the Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model Series is over in uh, a little bit further uh, in Georgia and the northeast corner of Alabama, and that's kind of the tentative plans. But like I said, if all else fails, then you will find me at the Talladega Short Track, <laughs> sitting and watching, <laughs> just sitting and watching. And perhaps okay. maybe, even the big tra- maybe even the big track, too. You never know. That's always a possibility <laughs> as well, yes. Okay. Uh, fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere on social media. Uh, we did our preview show in the first 90 minutes. If you haven't heard that, uh, you'll want to go back and listen to it. There's some interesting uh, information in this week's uh, uh, preview uh, for the races that are coming up this weekend. And uh, I want to do a big shout-out to all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're listening on the podcast or listening to the live broadcast. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen in. Now, we will be back Monday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time to do the review of the weekend of racing, uh, as well as our NASCAR Hot Topics at 10. And, of course, Jay and I will be back next Thursday for the following week uh, preview at Kansas Speedway. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. 
and uh, also that'll be the ARCA Racing Series season finale next week. So we've got a lot to talk about and look forward to you uh, with the shows next week as well. So with that, uh, I think we'll call it a wrap and uh, say our good nights. Have a good night and uh, talk to you next week. Enjoy the race weekend. Okay, everybody. See you on the other side. Good night. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.